Centauro Adun, and welcome back to the podcast your mother warned you about. Talk until the joy is gone. My name is Rooney, a man with a million nerdy references, most of which will go right over the heads of most people, just like the phaser blast over the phoenix during first contact. And here with me is a man who knows exactly what it's like not to understand my references, as he's been doing that for decades, and is probably even now trying to figure out the last one. Reggie, I suspect it's some kind of Star Trek reference, but I don't did, know. did the phaser give it yeah. away? Yeah. <laughs> you should have saved that for one when Ash is here because he'd be all over that. He'd be all over that. I thought I've got a million Star Trek references. I'm sure I can squeeze some in for, for the next Ash re- episode. Yeah. <laughs> we really should get like Star Trek uniforms for you and Ash to wear whilst we podcast. <laughs> I just wear the red shirt. Oh, and mate. you two can have actual, like, you know. If I had a Star Trek uniform, I'd just wear it all the fucking time, mate. I'd just be rocking up to work in it. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> I'd probably get a promotion if I did that because one of the owners of the company is a massive Star Trek nerd. Oh, why don't you do it then? Because they're really Why expensive. haven't you ever cosplayed as, as a Star Trek character? Right, there, there are several reasons. First of all... Is it because it's so cliche and common? Not exactly cliche and common, but they're very understated costumes oh okay you want the attention yes oh, okay. compared to my assassins yeah. my mando my spartan you can you can walk past a group of people and nobody notices it's shocking then that will cosplays as a as a star trek i know character. yeah but you know even when he's not cosplaying he's still just like getting in everyone's face yeah to be fair he does couple it with a with a kilt so yeah so I mean, the attention he's not getting from the top half he's definitely getting from the bottom I think it's, half i think it's just a fetish thing with him he just gets off on it Oh yeah, he loves that. Call show. me Beverly. Oh. <laughs> that was Doctor Crusher. Oh, okay. From next gen. <laughs> I was like, you could have gone with she like fucked a ghost. I was like, you could have gone with something like a female version of Will, like Wilma. Wilma. Instead, you've just gone for Beverly. <laughs> What's this all about? Another See? reference references I don't you get. don't get. Yeah. There you go. I can make references that you don't get. <laughs> At some point, when I think of one. When you think of one, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, the other thing is that the, 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 the Star Trek costumes are either really shit mm. or really expensive. Oh, okay. And for the amount of money you spend to get a good one, I could get something far more impressive for you, the same amount of money. You, so you stop making your own. You've gone diet cosplay. You stop making your own costumes and just buy them now. I haven't bought or made one in fucking so long. Yeah, do you even cosplay anymore? Can you, can you even consider <laughs> I'm, yourself I'm, a cosplayer? I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, in Colchester this weekend with the Ghostbusters. This but, weekend coming? Yes, this coming oh, okay. weekend. Uh, not, obviously not this weekend, because this is a Monday. Um, but we have planned Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> yes, I know. I have to discuss that with you, because I realised last early hours of this morning, late last night, that, uh, hang on a minute, I'm in Colchester all day on Saturday. <laughs> Which is why we were going to record. But that's, that's, that's a discussion for off mic. I know, I know. <laughs> why don't you just it's sleep over time, right, for Cody, and then just do it when Sleep over time on Saturday. In the evening. <laughs> I mean, we could do it in the evening, yes. Um, or we could just push it back another week. <laughs> since nobody knows it's coming, yeah. <laughs> it's not really not really the end of the world. Okay. Um, but yes, so no, to I'm, be fair, I'm, it, it was my fault this time. <laughs> I am doing, uh, I'm doing an event this weekend. I haven't done a lot lately because most of the big conventions, I don't want to go to anymore. I think you've just, you've like, cosplay was cool for a while, but I think now you're into the paranormal and ghost hunting, I think cosplay's taking a backseat. Probably, yeah. I know what I'm like. I can only my, hope. With my mood swings. Well, it's like most of the big conventions that I used to go to regularly, yeah. 
are they've jacked their prices up through the roof and they're just a bit shit. They're full of annoying teens just being hyperactive and I getting the like nerves and Reading Festival for those last couple of years. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. It's like I don't want to pay I can't remember what it was the last MCM one, but it was something ridiculous. Like a day ticket was 75 quid or something. And I'm like, I remember I was buying them when they were like fucking 20. Yeah, I remember buying a three-day Reading ticket for £95. Yeah. that's The first year I went. Jesus. And then the last year I went, it had gone up to like 150 or something ridiculous like that. (laughs) Yeah, and just double-check that. MCM London ticket. Yeah, 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 I don't care, I don't care. Oh, no, that's too bad, actually. That's, yeah, it's just day tickets now. That doesn't look right. That can't be right, surely. Oh, so you're, you're pitching and moaning about nothing. I'm pitching and moaning. Because when I looked the other day, it was good, or last time I looked, it was going to cost me like 70-odd quid for a day. Okay. And that was about parking and was food and stuff like that. For you and Amy and Cody? No, that was just like just for me. Oh, okay. Or maybe, this, maybe it's because this is well in advance. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, they've jacked all the prices up. When you go there... Anything you buy there, you're going to be paying at least double what you would of course, yeah. elsewhere at any other time. It's like shopping in a car. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you, all the people there, none of the people that I used to know, like my, the the cosplay community I was part of when I was going there doesn't go to those events anymore. Is it because they all went through puberty and grew out of it? <laughs> no, it's because they all go to different events because they all feel the same as me. <laughs> after, after you've spent like three days... <laughs> You spent three days surrounded by like teenagers who were on their first big trip out to to, to London without parental guidance. All right. And you basically, oh, I've ended up babysitting people before when I've gone as part of groups as okay. one of the admins, and you end up babysitting teenagers. And I'm like, I don't need to. I've had my own fucking child. Can't you just go on your own? Why do you have to go as one of these groups? Well, yeah, you can go on your own, and I have done that a couple of times. I do everything on my own. I don't need to be a That's part you're of a no creepy weirdo group. No, but it just means I don't have to babysit anyone. I don't have to worry about what anyone else. Well, is I think doing, I didn't used to have where to. anyone else wants to eat when they want to go to the toilet. Yeah, but then I've got someone to to like hold my gear while I'm trying to do stuff. Help me get in and out of costumes. That's what Amy's for. So you, the two of you. She don't want to come and spend a day trudging around with me. She spent years doing that. So, yeah, we don't tend to go to the bigger ones anymore. Okay. And a lot of the smaller ones that, uh, well, a lot of the smaller ones in this area died during lockdown. Okay, yeah, I can see that. They they all kind of packed up shop because they couldn't make any money for what like two years. So they just evaporated, and a lot of them are sort of out towards the coast, especially down south. Yeah. I can't be fucked getting up at like. Seven, six o'clock, six, seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to drive for two hours to then spend all day on my feet prancing around to then drive back for two hours. See, if you were like really into it, that one you wouldn't care. When I was younger, I used to do it all the time. These days, I'm knackered. I I do two hours drive. I need two hours sit down and a cup of tea before I'm ready to do anything again. It's like claiming you're into podcasting, (laughs) but not even putting out an episode every time you're meant to put out an episode. Like if you were really into it. You'd find you you you'd prioritize it above other things. So you'd Listen, make the time right? To all do my it. episodes have gone out when they're supposed to. Not you, oh, not okay. us, because I'm here and I make sure shit goes oh, out. I thought time. you were talking about Oryx to Zeric. I was going to say <laughs> no. Episode six, which is see the end of season one, although I haven't announced that yet, <laughs> went out on time. I was going to extend it by an episode, but now I realise I only have like four days. <laughs> And I ain't got time to do the research and recording. That's a guilty conscience right there. That is, yeah. <laughs> I just, like, I never get that. And I'm not, this isn't a dig at you. It's just mm. a general. This is a general dig. Generalism. 
I don't get it when people are like, I haven't got time for it. It's like if you really wanted to do it, yeah, you would prioritize it higher than some of the other things you're doing instead. Yeah, you would make the time to do you it. You make the time to do it if it's something you genuinely, genuinely want to do. You make the time to do it. Yeah, you you prioritize it high enough in your. It comes. I'm always fucking tired because there are so many things that come higher than going to bed at a sensible time. Oh yes, that yeah. I'm just always exhausted because it's like yes, okay. I could go to bed at 10 o'clock tonight and I could get, like last night I could have gone to bed at 10 o'clock. I could have had 12, 13 hours sleep last night. I didn't because I've rediscovered Starcraft 2. So I stayed up way too late playing that after watching today's film. Hmm. So I was just like, yeah, I could, but no, I want to do this. So I did it. I made time for it. I made, I'm suffering for it now. Yeah. But, you know, that's what happens. You've got to suffer for the things you love. I'd say like Life is pain. Maybe 0.5% of the time, you gen- genuinely, no matter what you do, do not have the yeah, time there to are, do something. Uh, yeah, there are occasions where that happens. But if you really want to do something... Someone you'll... blows up their car tire or something. Yeah, so... <laughs> it wasn't me, it was the fucking pile. It's Essex County Council not fixing the fucking roads. No. Don't sound like a middle-aged it, man. I wish it was Essex County. This was on some little country road out near Hatfield. I had to... I had if to... you will go dogging, mate, I mean, Jesus. I mean, dogging, driving home from work. Uh Little country road out in Hatfield. Yeah, I'm driving for work. Where do you work? Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you live? Hello. Why were you driving? Shut up! Oh. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> I got really stressed out driving home through on the four one four. Oh yeah. Going through Hartford was just a fucking traffic oh, nightmare. Oh yeah, that's day. horrible. And then you come down the four one four and you get to that roundabout to come into Harlow. Yeah. Basewick, and it's just fucking. That's carnage. a car park. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get up to that roundabout where you would turn left to go to the old swimming pool, right to go to the fire station. Yes. Yeah, that's fucking carnage. Yeah. How there's not road rage and crashes on there at peak time every day, I do not know, because people were just cutting in and out of each other, trying yeah, to get I around the roundabout. That roundabout. <laughs> fucking nightmare. So I found a new way where I go all down the back uh, these country okay. roads. I come through Broxbourne yeah, and I come yeah. up into Harlow that I way. Know, I know the route you mean. <laughs> so much nicer. Go through little Burke Hampstead. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful down there. You just got to watch out for the holes in the road. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I had to like drive like 30, 35 minutes. Mm. Basically a flat tyre. Yikes. I pulled over and I got my little electric pump thing out of Connect, oh, so it's, it's not it got a, a spare wheel, it's just got the pump. Well, I, I've got a spare wheel, but I ain't got no jack. I don't know. It should all be in the boot with the with the spare wheel. No jack. Oh. So I set all that up and I went to I went to do it and he's just given up the ghost. It's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to drive about 10 miles an hour all the way home just to make sure I got Did the tyre survive or did they have to? Cause... It's, it's not the tyre. When I bought the car, it turns out they the metal part inside the tyre. Yeah. Had a dent in it, and somebody must have hammered it out uh, in order to sell it to me. Yeah, because it's happened once before. I hit. I was coming home from some like. Oh, so it, it doesn't actually pop the tire. It, it basically breaks the seal enough to deflate it. Yeah. Uh, so one night I was coming home from Stansted. It was like probably about one o'clock in the morning. I'd been to a booty call, <laughs> and I was half asleep, and I hit this pot I want some way, but I was only like two minutes from my house. Yeah. And I got home and I called the tyre people and they came to my house the next day and they put a new tyre on it. But he's like, I need to tell you, the actual wheel is fucked. Like the tyre will be fine. You can probably get to work and back for a couple of days, but it's going to keep going down. 
So eventually, so I was able to use it like a little bit to get to work and back in Stortford. And then eventually I had to take it to a tire place and they took the metal bit out and they re kind of, they smashed it all up and made it round again, yeah, yeah, basically, because yeah. there was a huge flat side to it. Oof. It was awful. But obviously, so coming home from work the other day, on Friday night, I was like, I got out, like, let us out early. <laughs> Sun was shining, bank holiday weekend. I was so excited. Driving home, big smile on my face, hit this pothole. And I must have hit it at the right angle. Just that, the right, yeah. That the dented bit got re-dented. So this is the annoying thing, right? I got, I get home, I call the same place that I'm not, I'm not going to shout them out because they're in Harlow and I don't want to fuck them. <laughs> I don't want to fuck with them in case they ever want to use them again. I called them and I was like, I don't expect you to be open till Tuesday, right? Because it's bank holiday weekend. Yeah. No, no, no. We're open tomorrow. Sorry, it's the gas. <laughs> we're, we're open tomorrow. It's fine. We're going to be busy, but if you can come along, you can hang out and wait and, We'll, we'll fit you in at some point. And I'm like, all right. So that's when I called you and was like, our Saturday plans are going to have to get pushed back a <laughs> yeah. week because I've got to go and wait. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I don't want to be sat there like, oh, shit, I've got to be at room <laughs> now. So I cancelled that. Pump up my tyre just enough to get there Saturday morning, like at half eight, because they tell me to open at half eight. Place is completely closed. <laughs> closed down. No one there. So I waited about 20 minutes just in case they were they were like late. Running late or something. But no one turned up. So I had to repump it up. I drove it to a garage at Staple Tire. Closed. So then I just I was just like, fuck it, repumped it up again. <laughs> drove it home, called some guy out and paid over the odds. But yeah. he, he come to my did it on my driveway. But he didn't turn up till like four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Oof. Bearing in mind I called him at like eleven. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, 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 I'll come. Not long, not long. Not long. Yeah, they always say that. Yeah. And then I got two more phone calls. But not for the job in, in Cambridge. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to... And then I suddenly get this text. Can I do it this evening? And I'm like, look, I'm good till six o'clock. After six o'clock, like, you're <laughs> fucked because I'm not going to be here. A liar because I was there. But <laughs> I didn't want to be hanging out. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to be hanging around all night. And he was like, I'll oh, definitely, definitely get it done by six. And that and turns up about four text me i'm five minutes away and i'm like i've got to get dressed <laughs> got to get dressed shit <laughs> sort myself out have a cup of coffee wake myself up but yeah he come and did it on my drive so i've got to go and get a new metal bit because i think any like part a, a new I wheel hit, yeah yeah that's right you may pick up one of them on ebay for next to nothing mate yeah especially you don't care so as long as it fits your wheel as long as you make sure it, it fits your wheel you'll be able to get one for cheapest chips on ebay yeah yeah oh cool yeah, because I mean, you could I thought I was going to have to go out and buy a brand new. This is my lack of car knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. Considering you can, well, Christ, it's, it's, there's a there's a breakers yard in Braintree. You can go over there and take it off your bloody take take the wheel nut, take it off your bloody self, and just carry it back. But um, yeah, you can get considering you can buy like a, a a full set of four wheels for you know like alloy wheels for sort of like oh, I've seen them on there for 150 quid. Oh, okay, so, so it's not a be single a single wheel for your yeah. car. Yeah, I would be surprised if you pay more than 50 quid for it. Okay, I might have to send you my my tire details. <laughs> send me the details of your of your of your car because then I can find out what wheel it needs. Okay, I'll do that when I go home. Uh welcome back to uh Touching Car Talk with Reggie and Rooney. We don't <laughs> know shit about cars. <laughs> As you've learned, I know nothing and he knows slightly more. I know than slightly I more. I had a chap come down on Saturday to view my Yeti, yeah. which is being sold. 
Uh, <laughs> he told me on the phone, he's an older gentleman coming from, oh, where did he say, Lincoln? Oh. Somewhere like that, somewhere fucking miles away. He basically yeah. said it's going to take about three hours to get here. I'm like, okay, so he's on the phone to me, and he seemed very worried that I was going to agree to sell him the car and then sell it without telling him. <laughs> In the three hours, he was on the road. Well, he phoned me up. He, no, he phoned me up on like fucking uh, Wednesday. Okay, and asked me about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, well, okay. I'll go away. It's like I'll go away and do some checking because it needed some work doing on it. So he comes back a few hours later. I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely not, definitely not. Like, okay, great. He's like, what? Uh, I'll let you know when I can come down. He's, can you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So he phones me up Thursday. He's like, right, I can't get down any sooner than Saturday. That's fine. Absolutely fine, mate. No problem. So, yeah. Well, I can pay you 50 quid now to hold it. And I'm like, mate, if you want to buy it, I said, I'm not deluged with people coming around yeah. trying to buy it off me. I'm, I'm not like batting them off with a stick. He's like, no, no, no. He said, but you know, a sales are sell to you. I was like, look, I will tell you now. If you tell me you're coming down to look at this on Saturday, I will hold the car until you've come down yeah. and sold it. And I said, and he said, but what if? I said, if someone comes to me waving a big stack of cash, I will tell you it has been sold. I'm not going to let you drive for three hours no. to then go, <laughs> it's been sold, mate. So you can waste six hours of your life. I said, that's not going to happen. Then he came, he, he spoke to me and he was like, he needed to get like postcode and that because it, it's undrivable at the moment. So it needs to be recovered. Mm. Um, and uh, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a price for that. He said, yeah, be down on Saturday. He said, I'm not going to mention money anymore. He said, because we've agreed. We, we've provisionally agreed a price. He said, yeah. He said, everything's, if everything's as you've said it is, I should be buying it. I'm like, okay, great. So I am expecting him to come down with a flatbed truck, pick this fucking thing up. Um, he, rough, he phones me when he gets there, and he's like, oh, okay, I'm in the postcode. I said, where are you? I said, hang on a minute, I'll come outside. And yeah. obviously, it's around my mum's. So I go out there, and I'm like, right, I'm outside now. What's, what's around you? And I see this old chap halfway up the road, and I'm like, is that you? And I waved, and he waved, yeah, that's me. And I said, he disappears. Reappears in a two-year-old fucking Range Rover. I'm like, wow. thinking, he's not going to be able to tow that on no. his own all the fucking way up to Lincoln. Um, anyway, as it turns out, no, he wanted to come down and check it and look at it. He, he, to be fair, he's given me a cash deposit. Uh-huh. Uh, we've agreed on the price, and he's sending a flatbed to come and recover it on Wednesday. But uh, I'm chatting to the guy, and he's like, oh, yeah, I do a lot of pushbacking. Loves to chat, this bloke. Right. Our conversations on the phone could have been about five minutes tops over the last four or five days. I've spent probably an hour on the phone to the oh, guy. Oh no. Loves a chat. Lovely bloke. Loves a chat. Oh, I know yeah. his life history. Yeah. He does a lot of push biking as he calls okay. it. And he's got a Fiat Panda and it's shit. <laughs> well, why is he driving a two year old Land Rover? <laughs> well, by the sounds of it, him and his missus aren't, aren't shy of a few quid. Oh, Cause okay. he's got this like basically brand new, uh, Range Rover. He's got his Fiat Panda that he's used for his push biking, which he's now going to replace with my Yeti. Oh, okay. I which, see. again, is not a, not exactly a cheap car. No. Um, I mean, he's getting a bargain on it because it needs work doing. But to buy one new and on, well, one in working edition on the road, you're looking at sort of five, six grand. And he's just buying that just for weekends to drive his bikes around. He's got the, the Range Rover and his missus has got a Mini Cooper. He's, he was like, yeah, yeah, we just bought a new, she bought, bought her a new Mini Cooper the other month. And that's because he was moaning about car tax. And I'm thinking, motherfucker. <laughs> if you've got the money for all these cars, uh, you shouldn't worry about, like, car tax. Like. No, and he's fucking, he's quibbling about, like, oh, yeah, can, can you take 100, can you take 100 off? And I'm just like, no. I'm like, motherfucker. I mean, like, you, you're mom, just like Spenny yeah. when it comes to buying every other car. 
Then you were my man. I'm gonna take a hundred quid off. I, well, I did like... take a hundred quid off in the end because I want the fucking thing gone. But oh, no, I'd be on there. if you can afford. This goes on for some time. <laughs> because I was like, yeah, extra fifty pound a month. <laughs> anyway, so moving on from car talk. Yeah, it's boring, boring. Sorry, guys. Sorry, everybody. I really, we realise you don't tune in for car talk, but we haven't seen each other in like over a week, so we've got to catch up. This is what it's like to be friends with us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking yeah, earlier on when you were talking about um, streaming, I was like, I guarantee Louis probably spends more time talking to Rooney per week than I do. <laughs> like, I think there's people out there that listen to this podcast that probably assume that, like, we constantly could we're just we constantly got, in communication yeah because we've got such a good relationship and it comes across on mic that we're constantly <laughs> in in touch with each other but uh. we are we are those friendships that people keep memeing about the ones where you just send each other memes oh yeah we've got a whole group for that we've got now. a whole can, group of, well, there was a whole group of us i can keep free friendships going with the same with the, set of memes i don't even have to post memes in there i just react to other people's memes and that's enough <laughs> Yeah. This is this is friendship in your forties, guys. I think if we talked constantly though, like by the time we turned up to do the podcast. We'd have nothing to say. I'd be like, I already told you about my car. You've already told me about that. What the fuck are we gonna what talk about? What are we about? gonna talk about now? Yeah. So if you're <laughs> looking to start a podcast to strengthen friendships, probably don't. Probably don't. <laughs> if it, yeah. At least not if you're friends and you see each other all the time. Yeah. If you're looking to start a podcast to compartmentalize your friendship into one day a week, <laughs> definitely do it. Absolutely. <laughs> now, we message usually on a Wednesday or Thursday. One or other of us will message the other one and go, what are we doing this week? Yeah. <laughs> I need you to think of a franchise that you would like to... You would like to cover on a on a bi monthly basis. Oh Lord, is this because we're coming to the end of? Uh, we will be to in the beginning of the next year. We'll be coming to was the end, the of, end of the MCU. And so I found a, something else. A box set of every single James Bond film. Oh, for the love of Christ! <laughs> on DVD for like thirty pounds something. And I'm really <laughs> I'm considering buying it, but then I was like, he's already got sick of doing Marvel once a month. Like How maybe many what Bond films are there? Oh, loads. Yeah, because they've been making them since the dawn of fucking time. I think there's like. I think there's yeah. cave paintings up in the French Alps of Bond movies. Let me see if I can find them. All I've got is these really, really bad articles from. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find it. I, mean, I think there's like 30 odd. I don't know why I'm getting you to squint down at your phone screen. I've got my PC sat right here. How many Bond. Movies are there. There we go. I thought I still had 25. 25. Yikes. I've been watching them. ITV. Oh, wait. This one says there were 27. According to Rotten Tomatoes, there were 27 of them. Yeah, I think there is a lot. There's a lot. That's a lot of films. Yeah, so I I wasn't going to force you to do it (laughs) on a monthly basis, but if you find a franchise. Oh, we can alternate. We buy on by monthly. Nice. Because I know you're already sick to death of the Marvel. So I didn't want to kill <laughs> yeah, off Yeah, doing it monthly is a little bit much. Yeah. But yeah, doing it You would think it's not sense. though, right? You would think, oh, it's a month in between each one. Yeah, but when you're like 13 films deep yeah. and you've been watching one a month for a year, <laughs> it's it's surprisingly grating. <laughs> okay, well, people look forward to that. James Bond and whatever film franchise I find. Yeah, I was thinking Ghibli, but we've already covered some. We've already, yeah, we we're kind of we doing Ghibli on a more ad hoc basis. Cover them in chronological order. Yeah. You have to find another. 
I'll find. I'll have to find something else. I'm sure I can find something else. With 27 films in it. Probably not. I don't think there's anything with that many films in it, aside from Bond. Is Bond the longest-running franchise with the most films? Probably, yeah. Probably, because they recast it every... They keep, yeah, they keep recasting it. It's like fucking Doctor Who. Why is it with British people and fucking just recasting their heroes? It's just easier, right? They, kind of, they made that a whole character and plot point with Doctor Who. Well, Bond, my understanding of Bond is that Bond, James Bond isn't actually his name. James Bond is his, like... Yeah, that's his that, job. That's his job role. Yeah, that's his cover. In effect, isn't it? So, yeah, so James Bond body can be James Bond. Yeah, that which is why that's that's, that's why people are like, well, make him get what's his name, Idris Elba in there. They've been showing him one once a week on like ITV two or something. How much are they cutting out? All because because yeah. <laughs> I know there were bits that were edited in the eighties and that when I was watching yeah. them on ITV eighties and nineties when I was watching my ITV. So I can imagine now. The 2023 sensors going back. Yeah, they've been. I I only realised they were doing it about six weeks ago, <laughs> so I caught the last couple Roger Moore's, mm. and I've been working my way through the, the Pierce Brosnan's. Oh, Pierce Brosnan! So tonight it's Die Another Day, God. and then I think there's one more, and then it's the Daniel Craig ones. But I'm not too worried about that because I've seen. Where was Timothy Dalton? Because didn't he do one? He was early on, uh, earlier I think, was he much earlier? earlier. I thought it was. Between uh, Brosnan and uh, Roger Moore. Okay. Because uh, he didn't do many. I think he only did like two. Two, yeah. yeah. Well, I thought he was I thought he was earlier. I, I don't, don't know. know. Well, I guess we'll find out yeah. early next year when we start doing Bond films. But the old, like, Roger Moore ones were so fun and so nostalgic. Yeah. Because I must have watched them so many times as a kid. Uh, for, for a long time, he was my oh, yeah. Bond. Still, because still is my Bond. I know that's, like, cringy to most people, but... I like Daniel Craig. He was so campy. Yeah, and I like the new Bonds. <laughs> I really like the new Bonds. But oh, you mean Jason Ro- Bourne? Yeah. <laughs> but Roger Moore was was the Bond I grew up on. Yes, exactly. But last week I watched. So was it Goldeneye? Goldeneye. Was it Goldeneye? Or was it the one that come after Goldeneye? Yeah, whichever one it was, it was. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. Prophetic. How so? It's all centres on a media tycoon that uses fake news to try and cause a war <laughs> between the UK and Russia. I love how it's always between, like, the UK and someone. Yeah. It's like, guys, it guys, well, even back then, we weren't a world power. No, but <laughs> America or Felix, whoever's playing Oh, Felix, yeah, Felix. He comes into it, and so there is some American... Doesn't Felix, like, die every other film? Yeah, basically. He must be another assumed identity, because yeah. I remember there's one of the Roger Moore ones where Felix dies, yeah. and Bond gets really angry. Yeah, he's different. He's obviously a different person. <laughs> plays him constantly. <laughs> but it was prophetic. It was all about how they use fake news to start this wow. war. And I'm like, wow, this was the 90s. This was the 90s. See, they knew what was going on. Yeah. And in, in the 90s, we were all still being, like, played Rip for up. idiots. Yeah. I've got- Jack on my guitar. <laughs> double denim for the win. I mean, I still wear double denim. <laughs> I don't wear the same colour double denim. Oh, I do. At least not on purpose. Black. I think black I can get away with, but I wouldn't wear like, Yeah, black blue. denim. The, yeah. where, stone, oh, double stonewashed denim no, is a bit much. I wouldn't do that. You look like a cowboy <laughs> or Noel Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> I might start doing it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so where is your, where is the 80s Rooney come from? Huh? 80s Rooney. 
Oh, because of my sleeveless denim jacket. With a patch on the back. With yeah, a patch that on is the back. The, you don't get any more 80s than that. I've been trying to... Do you know what, right? I'm going to have a proper old man moan now, right? About six months ago, I was like, you know what? I, I, I like waistcoats, mm. as, as anyone that's seen me dressed up for a night out will, will attest. Well done. Mm. You just poured coffee down yourself. Um, I love a good waistcoat. And I was like, but I want some more casual... You know, that sort of style yeah. thing. Something about sleeves. Where for, for when it's... It's not winter, but it's nice that it's summer. It's a little bit nippy. You don't need a full coat, you know? Pop old man talk. Um, <laughs> the look he's giving me. We've gone know. from cars to... <laughs> well, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to get sleeveless denim jacket. I think that'll be cool. Um, and I spent months trying to find one. Fuck, no one sells them anymore. Just Google it, I'm sure. Well, I did. And I was like, I don't really want to spend like 30 quid. Oh, okay, so you sleeveless... found them. I found them. didn't find them. Well, I was like, well, I'm like, fuck's sake, it's gonna, I'm going to stick patches and badges on it and stuff. I don't really want to, like, go out and buy a fucking Levi's denim, like, sleeveless denim jacket. Because, bizarrely, the sleeveless ones are more expensive than the yeah. regular ones. And I'm like, but, but how? There's significantly Probably less material in them. They sell less of them, so they put the price up to... Uh, yeah, there's, there's got to be some logic behind mm. it. So then I was like, well, I'll just buy a cheap denim jacket from somewhere. I ordered, I ordered a sleeveless one. <laughs> I won't. I won't name in shame, but it was on a a, 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 a clothing resale app, which Vinted. is quite popular. It may well have been. Yes, um, <laughs> I ordered one on there, and it was marked. It was labelled, listed as men's large. I was like, that's really cool. Had a print already on the back. I was like, yeah, ordered it. Took like took like three weeks to come through, and I'm like, that's okay, fine. I'll. It auto leaves negative feedback yeah. on now. I, like, I said, contact us. I was like, no, no, it's fine. I'll delete that. And she had problems with her phone or some shit. I was like, that's fine. It comes through. It's a small. <laughs> it's like, I literally, I pull it out. I'm like, this is way too fucking small. I look at the label. It literally says, men's small. What the fuck? So I, I try to put it on. No, it doesn't fit. So I contact her. I'm like, what the hell? What is this bullshit? Oh, well, I thought it was a large because I'm a woman and I wore it and it was really big. So I assumed it was a large. And I'm like, she knew. I'm like, okay, right. Well, this is no good. I'm sending it back. Oh, okay. So I sent it back and got a full refund. She probably, I was going to say, she probably like had it on there as a small for months and no one bought it. So, so she, she put it up to a large. It a large and suddenly someone buys it. Yeah. So in the end, I was like, I'll buy, I'll buy a cheap denim jacket. So I check out all the charity shops. No, because charity shops got savvy these days and they know people want denim jackets. Probably to cut the sleeves off. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not buying a secondhand denim jacket for £25. Especially since it's like a Primark one or something. Right. In the end, I went to Primark. I paid £17 yeah. for a denim jacket and cut the sleeves off. Okay. And I was just like, how is how does this work? It's like, I can go and buy a second-hand version of this for £25, or I can go to the store and pay £17 for the same thing. Ooh, I don't know. Somebody Second-hand people up. aren't doing their market research to clearly find out not. what they the clearly... RRP price is. Right? <laughs> clearly thought it was something yeah. more than it was. But yeah, I, I tried it, and I was like, I like this. I had that patch. It was a t-shirt which shrunk in the wrong way. Yeah, I spent hours stitching that on. I've got another patch on that. I've got another patch on its way to me. I'm like, yeah, I like that. It's cool. So eighties. <laughs> it's very eighties. Yeah, I'm digging my I'm retro you stuff. You haven't got like an Eddie the Iron Maiden on the back. <laughs> I fucking hate Iron Maiden. I know, but that was the, you don't get more eighties than that. Sleeveless no. denim jackets with Eddie on the back. Eddie on the back. Fucking unnecessary studs. Yeah. The Eddie would be holding a fucking uh, Union Jack 
And I'm just like, no, no, that's the bad 80s. I want, I, I'm more in the idealised neon 80s that didn't really exist. Oh, the one you've created in your mind. Okay. Yeah, the one that when people talk about the 80s, they're like, yeah, it's got the 80s, the 80s aesthetic and it's all like, it's neon lights and it's palm trees and it's, you know, Outrun and Ferrari Countach's. Oh, Lamborghini Countach. Um, and then the actual 80s where everything was just shit, depressing and brown. Yeah. <laughs> I almost bought I almost bought one at one point, like a sleeveless denim jacket. Mm. After all the years of going to Slam Dunk, <laughs> being dragged to Slam Dunk, I just surrounded by people with sleeveless denim jackets. Yeah. And I was always like, they are quite cool. I would like one. And I, I never got around to buying one. Yeah. But you've seen my, my Four Colour Demons t-shirt, right? Yeah. So they did a big, at one point, they were sending this big back patch yeah. of the logo. And I really wanted it. And I was going to put it on the back of my sleeveless denim jacket. And I was just like, I can't pull that off. You've got to, you've got to commit to it. And then there was no more patches left. By the time I decided to do it, there was no more patches left. But- it's one of those things that, that I think anyone can wear, but you've got, to, you've got to commit to it and you've got to feel comfortable wearing it because otherwise you'll just look like some kind of weirdo poser. I may still get one. I think it would be cool to wear like with a, with a hoodie. Yes. To just wear it underneath a Oh, oh we're over the hoodie. The hoodie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm all about the layering with the hoodies. Yeah, <laughs> I, that, that reminds me. I went into town yesterday, and I realised that yesterday was the first time in about 20 years that I've gone out in the summer in just a t-shirt and not felt subco- uh, self-conscious, not oh felt the need to like layer to up. Layer up. <laughs> I'm sweating and like, <laughs> <laughs> why are you wearing two hoodies in this weather? Oh, crop I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like walking around town, like, oh, do you know what? I feel, I feel all right. I don't feel like I feel pretty cool about myself. <laughs> I only started doing that was it, last year, late late summer last year when we were in a heatwave, obviously. Yeah. And it was like, if I put anything else on, I'll die. But yeah, this year I've been doing it. Oh, I did it. It's great losing weight. I just felt so, self conscious about it. But now I'm just like, fuck it. I can walk around in my t shirt. I can walk around in a t shirt. Fuck you. Yeah. I'm wearing, what was it? I was wearing a t shirt on Saturday. Um, was, you know, there's people listening to this that are probably twice the size of us that are like, what? what? I wear a T-shirt all the time. I wear a T-shirt all the time. Yes, but we didn't used to be fat. <laughs> I've, I've always been quite chubby. <clears throat> I've always had a bit of a... Yeah, true. I do like pictures of you when you were younger. Because <laughs> yeah. you were a right little fat fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like pictures of me when I was younger because I was a right skinny bastard. Yeah. And you're like, why? Why? Why didn't I capitalise on that? Uh, oh, I could have worn a nurse's uniform then and I'd have looked amazing. <laughs> I mean, I did. There were pictures somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> if, I think I've still got that somewhere. Yeah, that's top tier Patreon content. That is, that is, yeah. Me with my shoulder length. With black, your shoulder length black hair. Yeah, in a nurse's <laughs> You look like dress. a junkie in a nurse's uniform. Yeah, do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's flash forward from the 80s. Yes. To 1995. Oh, is it? Is it a 95? Yeah. Is it a 90s recap? It is. Nice. Because I realised. I've forgotten we were doing these. <laughs> Me too. It's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> I looked at the schedule and was like, oh, how am I going to squeeze all of them in between now and the end of the year? Because I, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> skipped a couple where I yeah, forgot I was meant to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we all forgot. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to fly through the rest of the 90s and the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, God. Um, right, I've got some events slash facts. Oh. Uh, first up. In 1995, Fred West is found hanged in his cell at Winston Green Prison in Birmingham. The 53-year-old had been on remand since February um, of 94, having allegedly murdered 12 people whose bodies were found at three locations in and around Gloucester. 
How much do you think that rope sold for on the black market? Um, Murderabilia is what they called it, right? Murderabilia. Yeah, that stuff's like... Every day's a school day, because I didn't know that. Did you not? (laughs) No, that's not my bag, man. (laughs) No, there's a a black market of, like, you can buy... I figured there would be. John Wayne Gacy's paintings, you can buy, like, letters, you can buy all kinds of stuff from serial killers. Murderabilia, they call it. I I assumed there would be, because I know what humans like. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, I'll be Googling that later. Yeah. Get myself put on another list. Oh, I found something else we can talk about later that you're probably going to end up Googling. Because <laughs> you're in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to flash through the next three. Okay. Andy Cole, 23-year-old Newcastle United striker, becomes the country's most expensive footballer <laughs> in a £7 million deal when he joins Manchester United. Pocket change. Dennis Bergkamp, 26-year-old touch striker, becomes Britain's most expensive footballer <laughs> when he joins Arsenal in a 7.5 million move. From Pocket change! In Milan. <laughs> Just 48 hours after Dennis Bergkamp transfer, 24-year-old Stan Connemore becomes the third player this year to set the British transfer record when he joins Liverpool from Nottingham Forest for 8.5 million. Oh, the current record in the Premier League. Yeah, something obscene. 115 million. Yeah. That's, I wouldn't normally bring football facts and stuff, but I bought these just so we can look at it and be like, people were losing their mind. That people 7 were paying, million like, was, was at one point was the record. Yeah. And now it's 115. Chelsea recently paid 115 for a player. Oh yeah. They were talking about that the other day at work. Yeah. I, I heard the figure. Oh, Chelsea have spent. Chelsea got taken over by a new <clears throat> ownership group probably about a year ago. Yeah. And they've spent near on 800 million, which goes against, like, flies in the face of all the rules that they're b- b- putting in place <laughs> to stop the Saudis coming over and just spending their just royal spend, money. Yeah. But they, they found a loophole where, because most players will sign on like a three or four year contract. Yeah. So you then have to pay for them in that three or four year period. Yeah. Whereas they've signed them all to eight year contracts. So they can pay a little bit every year for eight yeah. years. So the app, so they can technically they've spent 800 million, but they've probably only paid like a hundred million yeah. of that. So they can stay within the guidelines, but yeah, Sneaky. it's not good. It's like you look at the world right now and, I was always very defensive when it comes to like people, but oh, I don't like football too much money. They get paid yeah. too much money. It's like, if you look at actors, actors make like a prominent A-list actor will make a hundred million in the yeah. year just from about six months work. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So really it's not in the grand scheme of things. They do get paid a lot, but only because the money's there Yeah, because people are interested. But when it gets to the point of like over a hundred million, like there's been at least like four or five players gone for a hundred million mm. in the last couple of years. That's and some obscene amounts of money. Look at it, and you look at like the way the rest of the country are living, and you look at that, and you're just like, just look at fuck? like eight hundred million. What could that do? Oh for my god! Just the world. Yeah. Not even you know, not even localizing it. Just for the world, that would that's the amount that's life changing cash for housing you could build for like yeah. Uh, homeless people or the yeah. amount of like soup kitchens you could start for people that need food. funding all these all these community projects and stuff like that rather than paying 115 million for one football player unfortunately though people aren't going to pay for in the nose to come and watch someone feed someone soup at a soup place. no true so that money just doesn't exist but uh. like <laughs> I'm starting to be less defensive now <laughs> more like it's kind of hard to defend it when, when you get to <laughs> You know, I was at spot like nine figures. Yeah. When you when you're talking about nine figures for a single player, that's 
That's life-changing money for a whole housing estate. Yeah. For like literally hundreds, if not thousands of people. Uh, Yeah, the scale is all wrong. It's fucked up. Uh, Manchester United footballer Eric Cantona launches a kung fu style kick on Crystal Palace (laughs) supporter Matthew Simmons after being sent off at a game at Selhurst Park. He subsequently got fined 200 grand and banned for nine months. (laughs) Ronnie Cray, one of the Cray twins, is taken to hospital after suffering a heart attack at Broadmoor Secure Hospital in Berkshire. He was sentenced, sentenced. to life imprisonment in 1969 for a series of gangland crimes, including the murder of George Cornell. He subsequently died in hospital age 61. <laughs> Mountain climber Alison Hargreaves becomes the first woman to ascend Mount Everest without oxygen or Sherpas. Pauline Clare is appointed as the first female chief constable with Lancashire Constabulary. Rosemary West goes on trial <laughs> at Winchester Crown Court, charged with 10 of the 12 murders that were allegedly committed by her late husband, Fred. Mrs. West denies the charges and argues that all of the murders, not just the two committed before Rose and Fred's marriage in 1970, were committed by Fred alone. Essex student Leah Betts, 18, dies in hospital three days after taking ecstasy at her home in Latchington. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. That is probably the reason that I have never done ecstasy in my life. That's probably the reason I know so much about ecstasy. Because for like a good five, six years after that, it was every drug discussion yeah. was about ecstasy. They showed us videos in yeah. school. Like I remember sitting in science class, class once and they showed us this informational video about Leah Betts mm. with Wonder Wars, the music in the background. <laughs> and it was like totally like get the 14 and 15 year old kids. Yeah. Get them and scare the shit out of them. Like when I now as an adult, I go back and I read a lot of books about like music from the like, 80s and 90s and there was a period between like 88 and probably 95 96 where thousands of e-tablets were done every oh, weekend God, yeah every night Christ. all over this country and like if i'd known that at say 17 18 i would have been like but the chances are so the odds are low. so small but i didn't know that and yeah. that at 16 17 18 i was terrified of ecstasy a drug drug education People probably cheered when Le- when the Leobet story came yeah. about because they're like, right, here we have they're in their age group, someone they can relate to. Yeah. She did this drug and she died, and it's you know it's became this big thing that they could use for years. I remember when when I was at college, we did a, a not entirely sure what it was. They basically got like a day's worth of free work out of my class, okay, because they sent us to this place and we they basically had like primary school children. Uh, primary and, and like younger secondary school children come through this come to this site and it was like a safety education place okay. uh, and they had like a building site set up and then they had a drug den was the one i remember set up it was basically just like a room in this council building made to look like some kind of dossy flat okay um and we were all there supposed to be high on marijuana or something. And you know, people no, no, some of the people in their class, <laughs> they probably were high. That was, on that was the best bit because we're thinking the yeah. same guy here, and he absolutely was before we did it did it a couple of days. And like the first day he was he was like, no. And the second day he was like, Yeah, smoked one on the way in this morning. I couldn't not. It's yeah. too funny. <laughs> And he's just sat there giggling in this fucking, oh. But, yeah, and that, I remember that because, like, they 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 would come to these different things 
and we were all there like as drama students pretending yeah. to be stoned and that and at one point i had to pretend to drink uh agricultural diesel because it looks like ribena oh, and then God. i had to die um that was on the building site one yeah uh and then yeah you had like the this this class this like dos house one uh and that was all about that because someone would come in and be offering the kids ecstasy okay it's like the 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 the, the tour guide would lead them in and say oh, oh just wait here for a minute guys We've got to go and do something take a phone call uh just yeah hang out with these guys and then like yeah one of the people who worked there would be going over and offering them like drugs ecstasy and lsd and stuff like that and then uh you'd get this fake police officer would come in actually it might have been a real police, police officer thinking about it would come in and go, no, don't take drugs, and basically would yeah. go into the whole Leah Betts spiel. Pre-Leah Betts, like, I remember police officers coming to school when in year... Sorry. <coughs> Lost my voice there. Huh? <laughs> <coughs> can be a very quiet episode. Guys. Yeah, in year seven, and giving us a talk. Yes. But it was all second-hand information, and it was all... There was this one person that took out a steam thought he was an orange, and he peeled himself... Somebody else took him. Everyone's heard that story and it's total bullshit. Thought they were a bouncy ball and jumped off a a multi-story car park (laughs) because they thought they were going to bounce. And it was like that. But once the Leah Betts thing happened, it changed. There were video documentaries. It was very much like, this is a real person. This is a real real person. Especially from where we are, based in Essex. It's like, this is a real person who lived technically up the road from you. And she did this. She's in your age group. And this is how she died. Yeah. I mean, it didn't really work because I still took drugs when I was younger. But I I was terrified of most drugs <laughs> until maybe my mid-20s when I'd seen enough people around me doing them. Yeah. A lot and not dying. That's the thing, you kind of reach like, a point where you're like, okay, well, this guy has been doing these drugs yeah. like twice a day for the last 10 years and he is more or less fine. Yeah. So if I take some tonight, the odds of me dying pretty fucking slim. <laughs> I tell you what, though, at this point in my life, like I've got, still got no interest in like coke, or crack, heroin, all that shit. No, there's a bit of me, the part of me that would quite like to try ecstasy just once. Uh, yeah, I know I would be the Leah Betts. You of would be the Leah Betts, the, the Reggie Solo. But there is, I've story. read, I've read so many books and like seen so many documentaries about the hacienda and about things like that. Yeah. And, and the, they're all powered by ecstasy. Oh yeah, the hacienda. Oh, yeah, like, but and the the common theme is this: like, it just it brings everyone together. It yes. gives you this overwhelming love. That's so popular at raves yeah. and stuff like that. I so, yeah, I could see myself trying. Right, well, book tickets. What we'll do is do a touching road trip to an illegal rave. Uh, we'll we'll take some drugs. We'll set up the GoPros and uh, yeah, that we'll release that as an episode, completely unedited. <laughs> just us to Patreon gurning. content, just us to <laughs> gurning. <laughs> we'll take the drugs and no one would fucking notice. <laughs> Rosemary West is sentenced to life imprisonment. <laughs> for a, what a smooth transition for a part in ten murders committed in conjunction with her late husband Fred between 1970 and 1987. The trial judge at Winchester Crown Court recommends that 42-year-old West should never be released from prison. Head teacher Philip Lawrence is stabbed to death outside his school, St George's Roman Catholic Secondary School in West London. Three drug dealers, part of the notorious Essex Boys gang, are found shot dead in the back of a Range Rover on an isolated country road. Now, do you want to know the red string synchronicity here? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. It was widely believed <clears throat> that the tarnished 
ecstasy pill that Leah Betts bought mm. was bought in one of the clubs that these guys were on, oh. or bought from someone that dealt in the clubs. Yeah. And because that had happened, a lot of the because these guys were like kind of top tier of like because in them days it was the bouncers. The bouncers, yeah, would have a crew of bouncers. They would run the club, but they would also run the drugs that went in in and yeah. out, right? So the Essex boys were kind of kings of their of the body, the bouncer groups. Mm. They were the leaders. So and they were kind of like the drug kingpin at that level. But obviously there were the drug kingpins above them yeah. that were bringing this shit into the country. And they are the ones that not only were the Essex boys just reckless anyway, they, mm-hmm. like, they didn't give a fuck. They would just kill, beat up, go after anybody they yeah. wanted, which brought a lot of heat. So yeah, it brings a lot of attention. The, other, the, <clears throat> the upper guys that are completely not on the ground floor doing any of it are like, well, they're bringing a lot of heat. We need to stay... Like, we need to stay the in the ground. shadows here. We don't want this attention. So between that and Leah Betts, they believe that like it was a reprisal. One killing. of the one of the reasons that that somebody come and shot them was because they were just they were ruining it for everyone, <laughs> spoiling everybody's fun. Yeah, few apples spoiling the bunch. Yeah, I couldn't find any like oh, this cost this much money in '95 and this cost this much. In oh, really, I just thought that would have been good. midway in the decade. Yeah, couldn't find it. I have to admit, I find all that information from they sell these things on Etsy of like the year you were born and facts yeah, about it. Yeah, they didn't have one for nineteen ninety five in in the UK. Ah, oh. if you were born in nineteen ninety five and you have one of those things, please do pass the information on to us. I got some, I got some other facts though. Okay, Galileo became the first spacecraft to orbit Jupiter in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, ninety five, powered by a fucking Casio calculator or some shit. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened in Cleveland. Ohio. Uh, Oasis played the biggest indoor gigs in Europe when they do two nights at Ells Court in London. Uh, the New Jersey Devils clinched the Stanley Cup. Sorry, that one was for Walt. <laughs> uh, Oasis was so popular in the UK in 1995 that a single was released in November of that year of just audio of both Noel Lee and Gallagher <laughs> arguing, arguing during an interview entitled Wibbling Rivalry and it charted peaking at 52. I owned a got that downstairs. The Chupacabra, the legendary goat-sucking beast, was first named by Silverio, Silverio, Silvest. What? Silverio Perez. Uh, A Puerto Rican comedian in March of 1995. Dolly, the clone sheep, was born on July 5th and lived for seven years. Oh, yeah. Shit, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was everywhere. Dolly's a sheep. Yeah, Jesus. And then for like a year after it was born, it was, we shouldn't have done it. We We shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't clone anything. It's You're playing God and just uh, everywhere for like about a year. Yeah, all the the religiosity went mental. Cheese-eating surrender monkeys is an insult used to refer to French people. (laughs) It first appeared in The Simpsons in 1995 when Willie says, Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Is that where it came from? To a French class. <laughs> the term has since entered two Oxford quotation dictionaries. Because <laughs> I've used that for years yeah. and I had no idea yeah. where that came from. I knew from. it came from The Simpsons. I didn't realise it was... I thought it was like a just a real random reference. Yeah. I didn't realise it was in two dictionaries. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> just, just, just to clarify, I have nothing against French people. No, me neither. Um, especially not their cheese because it's fucking delicious yeah I use that in the same way that you know the whole inbreeding thing with rednecks yeah (laughs) and people from Milton Keynes 
pubs in England are permitted to remain open throughout Sunday afternoon for the first time. Oh, Sunday afternoon drinking. Yeah. That's that's when God got pissed off. He yeah. wasn't bothered with the with all the you know, the rape and the murder and the pillaging, all the cloning of sheep. It was the drinking on a Sunday afternoon that did it. It's all been downhill since. Tut, tut. Uh, and finally, Oasis released their second studio album, What's the Story, Morning Glory, which proves to be one of the most successful of all time. And that brings us perfect segue into notable albums of 1995. Okay. And as it always is, these are my notable albums. Yes. So don't get upset if I don't... If we don't cover the, your notable album. So as previously mentioned, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. The Bends by Radiohead. Different Class by Pulp. The Great Escape by Blur. Exit Planet Dust by The Chemical Brothers. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness <laughs> by The Smashing Pumpkins. I Should Coco by Supergrass. The Infamous by Mob Deep. Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt. Adrenaline by Deftones. And Insomniac by Green Day. Quite a selection of albums but there. Then, then first four though. What's the story? The bands, different class, and great escape. Yeah, what a I'm year! I'm not it such was. a fan of of uh, the bands. I got yeah, I get that, but I mean, They're it's got street a... spirit on it. It's got just on it, and yeah. both those songs are incredible. But, I can listen to it, yeah. but those other three, they they were like personality defining for yeah. me for a good decade. <laughs> that was like one year you got all four of them albums. Yeah, they are stonking albums. Morning, They're still in rotation for me today. Morning Glory. Probably then, maybe not the best Oasis album. I think that's definitely maybe, but it's the biggest. It was the that's, one that it's my favorite. Cement, it's my favorite Oasis album cemented them as just all time. Yeah, like when we cover nineteen ninety six, I'm going to talk about Nebworth. Yeah, that album is the reason they got to go to Nebworth. Oh, absolutely. That that cemented them as superstars. Uh, what OK Computer, which is the next Radiohead album yeah. after this, did for Radiohead. That did for Oasis. Yeah. But different class by pulp is their biggest, probably was, their biggest their, album. As their well. fucking uh, like their opus. Yeah, that was their opus day was uh, different class because they took the disparate elements of their previous albums. If you listen to their previous albums, they can be a little bit bitsy. Yeah, and there's there's elements of what they did on different class of like all over them. Mm. But what they did for different class was cut out everything else and just everything just synchronized yeah. perfectly. And then The Great Escape by Blur, it's not their biggest album, but it was the, probably the one that, again, cemented them. Park Life was the one that really pushed them into the yeah. mainstream. But The Great Escape... Great Escape was them going... Yeah, because you kind of get you get a lot of bands. Their first album pushes them into the public yeah. eye and, and makes them an, uh, a name. And then it's that difficult second album yeah. where so many bands fail. I mean, The Strokes is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. Because they had that first album, which was basically their entire set list at the time. It was incredible. Blew up. As well. And then the second album came out and it's shit. Yeah. <laughs> Stone Roses. Yeah. The Second Coming was fucking awful. The first album is everything you've ever wanted to do, right? So there's probably songs that you wrote five years yeah. before, plus you've been playing them. You've been live, playing them to death and you know that they're, they're an integral them. part of your band. And you've refined them over time. The second yeah. album is like, right, uh, the first album was good. You've got a couple of months. Make Do another, another album. one. Yeah. You either take five years like the Stone Roses and just disappear. Yeah. Or you kind of get in there, you make an album, but it's it doesn't live up to the first one yeah. and then suddenly you that's, disappear. That's what usually happens. That's why, like, what's the story of Morning Glory was so instrumental in, in 
people would not probably not be talking about Oasis today. No, if it wasn't, if it for, wasn't that for that album, because they refined, they were refined as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. definitely. Maybe is a much much more raw album. Yeah. Uh, Morning Glory. It was they refined the sound and their performance and everything. Oh, absolutely. Which is yeah. why it was because they had the same quality of songs. But they were refined. Yeah. They were better. So, which is what elevated it and made it. And I had some radio hits. Like yeah. Wonder, Wonder by that Wall, point, fucking, back Wonder in anger. Wall, fucking Wonderwall syndrome, mate. Yeah. Uh, and even though I didn't own it personally, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't point out Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette came out. I did wonder if that was going to get a mention. Because it seems everybody I knew had Everybody else in the world yeah. had that apart from you. Yeah. Yeah. Periodically, I will still get songs from that album. Pop into my head, and they'll be stuck there for hours. I only really know ironic. Oh, uh, that, that was I that didn't. album got played a lot. That definitely, maybe yeah. uh, that, and uh, so Morning Glory, Glory. were basically on rotation. I only had a little fucking boombox in yeah. my room with a CD player on top. Yeah, and basically, as soon as one finished, I would pop the top, put the other one in. That would get played through, and then it would, yeah, for days I would it's, do that. It must be one of the biggest selling albums globally that year because. Again, everybody I knew had a copy. Except <laughs> there's, a, there's a robot chicken sketch about it oh, with really? Emperor Palpatine offering Vader a bunch of albums, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, old jagged little pill." I mean, this album, this was my summer, 1995 and, and 96 as well, actually. As you know, you can't have that. I'm keeping that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know the best-selling albums in Absolutely. the UK? Number ten, The Great Escape by Blur. Oh. Number nine, Different Class by Pulp. Oh. Number well, eight. <laughs> yeah, I thought some of these albums would be higher. Yeah. But once I tell you... Once you tell me what, what was actually at the top. The artists behind the ones that are higher up, you'd is be it, like... Oh, is I it wet, it wet, wet? Because I don't think I can handle that. Number eight. Picture this. Wet, wet, wet. Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. And I should have added this into my list of note, notable albums because I can't <laughs> believe I forgot. Stanley Road by Paul Weller. Stanley Road by Such Paul Such a fucking, good album. I got tagged in a Discord server yesterday because someone could hear Paul Weller songs being sung. And he was like, I'm not sure if there's a convention, uh, I'm not sure if there's a, a festival going on or if Rooney's about. <laughs> Stanley Road is such a good album. There's a hell of an album. It really is. Um, number six History, Past, Present, and Future, Book One by Michael Jackson. Ah, uh, okay. That kind of makes sense. Number yeah. five. Made in Heaven by Queen. Yeah. Number four, Life by Simply Red. Fucking Simply Red? Yeah, I know, what? Right? Fuck off, Mick Hucknall. Number three, The Colour of My Love by Celine Dion. Ugh. Number two, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. Number two. And number one, biggest selling album in the UK of 1995. Yeah. Robson and Jerome by Robson and Jerome. Fuck's sake. You know the most annoying thing? <laughs> All of the non-cool albums in that list, my parents owned between them. Yeah. They are partly responsible for that. <laughs> well, like, you look at it and you see, like, Blur, Pulp, Puella, Oasis, and you're like, yeah, that's nineteen. That's 95 to me. It, like, yeah, that is just, that sums up nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. in the UK. But then you look at all these, aside from Robson and Jerome, you look at, like, Queen were a powerhouse at that point. Yeah. Michael Jackson was a powerhouse. Yeah. Where, where, where? were a massive band at that yeah. time. Like, there's a lot of Celine Dion. These are A-list. These are, yeah. International kind of... Yeah, these are these are big international artists. Well, major labels, sense. whereas yeah. Oasis were on creation. 
yeah. which I know was owned by Sony, <laughs> but it was still run as an independent it was, uh, label. Yeah, it was run as an independent, wasn't so it? So for that to get second is incredible. <laughs> Robson and Jerome. Or off the back. Now, don't get me wrong, Soldier, Soldier was a, it was a good TV series. I can't say I ever watched it. My mum loved it. Okay. And at that point in time, I was old enough to be staying up to watch that, to basically not have to go to bed at that, uh, before it came on. So because we only had the one TV, yeah. I was sat down and I watched it. And Soldier, Soldier, it was a good program. Um, how they got a number one album off the back of it, because they don't even fucking sing in the thing. They play soldiers. Major labels can manipulate. Just, apparently so. Yeah. Do you want to know what the top 10 best-selling singles are? Yes. Number 10. And this is shocking. I thought this would be way higher <laughs> for the amount I heard it. <laughs> Wonderwall. Really? Yeah, number 10, Wonderwall by Oasis. Yeah. Number nine, You Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson. Ugh. You are not yeah, I know the song. Alone. Terrible. I am plastic too. <laughs> it's a song he wrote to Pam. Nineties references there, guys. Yeah. Number That's eight. <laughs> Missing by Everything But The Girl. I know the band name. And I know I should know the song. but Probably, I yeah. Number seven, Fairground by Simply Red. Oh, fuck off, Mick Hucknall. <laughs> not only is Mick Hucknall just a cunt, but... That fairground song was fucking... at the fairground on the way. Fuck off! It was an awful song. And 1017 had it on repeat. Yeah. At least twice an hour. Number six, Earth Song by Michael Jackson. You can tell how (laughs) his greatest hits got so high up in the (laughs) albums, right? Yeah, no. Number five, Think Twice by Celine Dion. Oh, yeah, no, okay. Number four, a song that at the time... I would never have vouched for. But <laughs> at the age of 41, I will come out of the closet and say, this is a good song. Back for good, but I take that. Yeah, no, it's actually quite a good song, I yeah. You back. But at I the time, you, you couldn't admit that. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Because that would out you as a take that fan. I would have got beaten. And that, yeah, exactly, that would get you beaten up. <laughs> I got punched in, I remember this randomly the other day, I got punched <laughs> in the face during hit history class by someone in my class because I told him Noel Gallagher was a better songwriter than Mark Morrison. I remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> punch in the face. Um, number three, I believe Up on the Roof by Robson and Jerome. <laughs> God. Up on the, the roof. It's the only bit of that song anyone knows. How? Because it was an old song that they just covered. So old people bought it. I know. And at that point in time, there were a lot. Of, COVID hadn't happened yet, <laughs> yeah. so there were a lot of still older lot of people old still people. alive. Number two, I I own this. I listen to this fucking on repeat, <laughs> and I will vouch for this song till today. <laughs> Gangsters Paradise by Cordio featuring LV. Lord have mercy. I remember... I owned it on CD single. I played it to death for about two weeks and then didn't care about it didn't care about it anymore. <laughs> I remember there was a... Not a talent show, but kind of should have been called a talent show. Was this... At school. When we all got sent off in groups for a week and then we were... Yeah. Yeah. And a bunch of the uh, the Rude Boys in the year. Not that they were called Rude Boys at the time. Do you know what? Me and Dal were in the same group for that. Do you know what we did? <laughs> Do you remember? No, I don't. We did... Uh, what was that song? I, I hasten to add, we weren't actually friends at this point no, in time. No, no. Me and Dal were, you and me weren't. Yeah. Um, it was Eva. I got a little something for you. I got a little something for you. <laughs> or I put five on it. Diddle, diddle. Oh, I Lord. can't remember which song, but me and Dal 
along with the guy that punched me in the face. They're <laughs> 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 saying that Noel Gallagher was better than Mark Morrison. And someone else all kind of did like a fake Brit where I think we sent Teabag out on stage to, pre- to announce the performance. Yeah. And the four of us walked out on stage dressed as Root Boys and mined the performance. Yeah. And um, Spittle was in charge of pressing play on the music. And I remember we walked all backstage <laughs> afterwards and Spittle just come on up to me and was like, I pressed play at the right time. <laughs> and I was God. like, lucky you, because I had to go up on stage and dance, dance and- like a cunt. <laughs> Uh, secondary school to a different place back then, kids. Oh, yeah, it was the Expressive Arts Week, right? That's what they called it. Uh, yes, you God. Had, you had to go and... It was bullshit. I was great if I'd been put in a good group. I was off for part of it. I was only there for the, in for the last two days because I think I was on holiday or something. I think I remember your group's performance. Yeah, I have no idea what we did because I basically wasn't involved. I, kept, I, I pressed play yeah. on the thing because I was out Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And I came in on like the Thursday and Friday and I was like, hey kids, what's happening? I just, oh, okay, I'll just I, I remember walking in on day one being like, right, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Instantly getting shouted down, being told, no, it's too much work. What you want to do is too much. Like they didn't know the phrase that delusions of grandeur at that time that you would later go on to use constantly about me. Yep. But basically, I got shouted down day one. We did fuck all until the afternoon before we were meant to do it the next day. And then it was, Oh, we'll just do this. And I yeah. was like, what? Oh, we had a whole week. Yeah. It was a pretty easy the, week. The I people in my it. group were not exactly, you know. No, they weren't <laughs> academically or creatively inclined, <laughs> no. shall we say. Right. Do you want to know the top 11 box office films? Yes. And we're doing 11 for a reason. Uh, I gathered there was a reason for it. Number 11. Not just to trigger everyone's OCD in the, uh, <laughs> in the listener group. <laughs> Number 11. Making nine point five no nine million five hundred forty thousand interview with a vampire. Oof! I can't even forget it was ninety five. That's why I had to do eleven. This yeah, time. that makes sense. Number ten, making ten million and eighty two thousand. Pocahontas. <laughs> Terrible film. I've never seen it. Number nine, making ten million one hundred eighty two thousand at the UK box office. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oof! That's a good film. It is a good film. Looking forward to covering that, actually. No, number eight, making 10480000 at the box office. Apollo 13. Apollo 13. That's a long film, and yeah. most of it is boring. Could say the same about today's film. Um, oh, num- there it is. Number seven, coming in at 10654000 Waterworld. Again, a very long film, most of which is boring. I, I can't say I've seen it. I watched it. We got it from Video Shop when I was oh, okay. when I was a youngster. This was days of the Video Shop. Yeah, and I watched it again last year, year before, because oh, okay. I was like, I hear it gets a lot of stick. It can't be as bad as all that. And I watched it. I ended up watching it in about five sittings because I kept getting bored. I think I heard it was massive at the time. It was massively expensive to make, and then it was a flop. Yeah, it was a huge flop. So I never bothered watching it. And it's it. like three hours long. Uh, number six. Uh, 10,693,000. Babe. Babe. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Number five. <laughs> Another reference he doesn't get, as no, we I, discovered the other week. I, I get it now. I get it because of the other week. <laughs> because of the other week. <laughs> Number five, coming in at 10,812,000. Oh, 
You may take my something, but you'll never take my something else. Oh, Braveheart. Yes. You may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. That's the one. That is a, This is a long but good. This seems like the, the year of the, yon, the, the long the loop, film. Yeah, long-ass films. That is a good good one, though. Number four, coming in at 14,445,000. Casper. Casper? Casper the Friendly Ghost. God damn. Yeah. I don't like that film. Me neither. Well, I haven't seen it, so. There's a really shit Ghostbusters cameo in it. Oh, okay. From Dan Aykroyd. Number three, coming in at 16,968,000. GoldenEye. GoldenEye. I only remember that from playing the video game. Yeah, that, <laughs> that game on the SNES was massive. That was that was a groundbreaking one for um for first-person shooter multiplayer. I've, even Me I, and Cody were playing it the other month. Even I have fond memories yeah. of playing GoldenEye. Everyone played GoldenEye. Waking up at Kev's house on like Saturday and Sunday mornings, hungover, <laughs> just all of us around the TV playing Goldeneye. Yeah. Uh, number two, coming in at 20,398,000. Star Trek Generations. Generation. Oh, mate, I saw that at the cinema. Me and uh, old fucking accountant went to see that because we were the only Star Trek fans that we knew. That's a good film. It's a good film. Is it? Yeah. Is it one of the good Star Trek films? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's got Kirk and Picard in it. Oh, okay. It's not. Is it the one with the Borg? No, that's First Contact. That's later in the nineties, right? Yeah, yeah, that's later. That's what yeah. I thought. Number one, coming in at twenty-one million four hundred ninety-two thousand. Batman Forever. Batman Forever. One Jesus, of the yeah. Terrible Batman. Yeah, film. that's not a great film. No. Also, th- those are those are those are puny numbers because it's the UK box office. Oh, I suppose, yeah, UK, yeah, no, that makes sense. Not worldwide UK. I was going to say, like, stuff has gone, like, I mean, admittedly, it has been, like, 30 years since then, but, yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. If it's it's not just UK footballers that have gone up in price. They've gone up in price, no. Up in price. Yeah. These are the days, though, that I could go to the Odin up the town and pay one ninety nine to go one ninety nine for a ticket, yeah. And we're going up there, like, a Saturday afternoon yeah. sort of thing. I'd go, oh, I think I've said this before, go out with a fiver. I could get a wimpy. <laughs> hide it in my coat take it into the cinema and still get a bus home for a fiver I remember yeah I remember going up there I'd go to the cinema and I'd yeah with a fiver you'd buy your ticket popcorn and a drink you'd still have bus money yeah. yeah you'd still have shrapnel in your pocket afterwards these days fiver don't even get you a fucking don't get you a ticket it don't get you a drink it don't get you anything to eat you're just like I've got five pounds fuck off compared to some of the films in the top ten you shocked interview didn't didn't crack the top ten. No, because especially in the UK, <laughs> it's a gay vampire. It's gay vampires. Yeah. This was the nineties. You know, homophobia was still very much a, a common household theme at that point in time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm not really that surprised. It was it's still kind of a cult film. Do you remember earlier when Rooney pointed out that we weren't friends during Expressive Arts Week? That's because my parents wouldn't let me hang out with him because they thought he was gay. My granddad thought I was gay. <laughs> Your granddad thought I was gay. Yeah. <laughs> First time he met me. Yeah, you gave vibes. Gay, gay vibes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I realise now you've said that, that he thought you were gay, that it's probably because I was hanging out with you that I gave him gay vibes. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, various members of my family over the years asked me in all seriousness, are you gay? Oh, no, really? I'm not gay. No one in my family's ever not asked gay. Me. I'm just a painfully shy short, very skinny nerd, okay? Women don't exactly throw them... This is obviously when I was younger. Yeah. Women don't exactly throw themselves at me. It's like, 
Are you sure? <laughs> you spend okay a lot, if you are. Not for fuck's sake. Spend a lot of time locked in your room with those two boys. What are you two going up to? <laughs> Saturday nights, you should be going out on dates, not seeing your room. Yes, Mum, I'll go. I'll, I remember having this conversation with my <laughs> Smoking parents. Smoking weed with that big nose prick. <laughs> I remember what my mum was like. Yeah, you should be going out on dates. Meeting. Why haven't you met any, any girls? I think I've met a few girls. Oh, why don't you go on dates with them? Because they're not interested in me. What makes you say that? <laughs> I talk about Star Trek and Warhammer 40,000, Mum. Okay? <laughs> Most girls aren't interested in Star Trek and Warhammer 40,000. Okay, when I go up to marquee models <laughs> and I'm buying my fucking blood red paint and my fucking space marines, there ain't exactly women outside the door getting lubed up, if you know what I'm saying, Mother. When I go to volume one to buy my Star Trek novels, there ain't exactly women in the sci-fi exactly. I'm like, yeah, when we go there and I'm buying my Aliens novels and I'm getting all excited to read about the, the, the new adventures, you know, women aren't going, God damn, that makes my nipples hard. When I go to Mr. Byright's to buy my cheap yet affordable clothing, <laughs> there ain't exactly women queuing up outside. <laughs> Mom, they're all at that what really was, expensive shop. What was it called? White what, House. What was the one in the corner where opposite where Primark is now? That was the jean shop. That was the jean shop. What was that called? Because oh. Mr. Byright was over the other side and it had the blue tiles everywhere. Byright's is was where the pound shop is, right? Yes. That bit. Yeah. That one right in the corner by the double doors. What was that called? Because it was a double unit. And it, yeah, it, it was, was just a, full of denim. Yeah, it was a denim shop. That's oh, where I was going my jeans. You could, where where you buy spliffy clothes. You could buy. You could. Thing is, it was great because you could buy Levi five hundred ones. Yeah. Right next door to like spliffy. the spliffy ones and some boot cut ones, and it was it, it was a denim paradise. The cool shop where all the girls hung out back in those days. I was White House. It was White House. White House. Yeah. And you just you'd go in there and look at one price tag and be like, "What the fuck?" Nope. Uh, it's like, "What you want? Thirty-five pounds for a white t-shirt in that's, the nineties? That's all my Warhammer figure figure money for like a month." Do you know how many space marines I could buy for that? <laughs> going to buy rights. Going to buy rights, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but, but funny, funny actually. Uh, Mr. Buy rights got bought out by Blue Ink. Yeah. And Blue Ink moved their store from where it was Across to the corner the opposite. Side. Yeah. And I actually bought some jeans in there a few months back. I have to say, though, yeah, like, buy rights wasn't that bad. Like, I would buy clothes in buy rights. Mm. I mean, admittedly, like, what was I, 13, 14? Yes. I didn't exactly have tons of money. I could buy a shirt for a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> but once it become blue ink, I was just like, no. They changed the style quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, no, I'm not going to have... No, yeah, it kind of it changed a lot. It went from, like, selling 90s-style... 90s style indie clothes, I suppose is yeah. the best phrase I can think of, to 90s style popular clothes, yeah. <laughs> you know, towny clothes. Yeah. I think it was about... <laughs> probably why they had to sell out, because we weren't buying enough cheap shirts. 94, 95, I started buying Ben Sherman's as yeah. well. I remember, like, I don't know if that thing exists today, like, where... <laughs> Like for all of a certain age group of like two or three years so, yeah. or a generation, there's like one thing. There's, yeah. Ben Ben Sherman's. Ben were, Sherman's, kicker the, shoes. Kickers, yeah. Like every – I never had a pair of kicker shoes because my parents refused to pay the money for them. They, they told me we were too poor to buy me kickers. <laughs> so I always got like the Wrangler version or some cheap yeah. version. I was never allowed them, but I did get a couple of Ben Shermans. I do remember. I right? had I had two pairs, 
two pairs of kickers throughout my school career. Yeah. They were both in the last two years. Yeah. And for years, the little leather fob that yeah. you got, I had that. One of them was on my keys. Right, up until we moved into the flat. <laughs> do kids these days still have that? Or I don't is think F- they do. is our interest so disparate now that there's no one? I think that's the thing. Yeah, a lot. Of, they're, they're all into lots of different things because there's, there's more to be into. Do you back then you couldn't go? You wouldn't go out. You couldn't go out wearing an outfit all branded by uh, a video games manufacturer. Oh no, Cody did that day before yesterday. He had, he had Xbox socks, trousers, and T-shirt. And I believe his boxers as well were all Xbox. When he gets to about 14, 15 now, do you think it? Do you think then you'll see, you'll be able to see if there's like a a uniform for that? I guess, I, I guess I'll this be point paying attention time, to find out. He's still kind of wearing whatever you buy him, right? Sort of. He might pick his own stuff. He, but yeah, he picks uh, basically with the Xbox stuff. He picks all that because he's like, Xbox. I'm a gamer. I'm a gamer. I've got gamer clothes. I'm a gamer like my mum and dad before me. <laughs> <laughs> She'd go in his room and I'd be where he says Jedi and all Yeah, just cross it up a gamer. gamer. He'd probably prefer it if I did that. <laughs> Haunted painting ruined my life. Now I need a professional to lift the curse. Oh. Oh, fuck's sake. I can't paste this directly from the article. And I've only just realised that the, the, it actually says, now I need a professional to life the curse. <laughs> You sure it's not supposed to say wife? I'm going to send you in there. Life the curse. Yeah. No. Oh, is no. this that, that painting? That's the painting. That, yeah, okay. So I was showing you the painting, so yeah. you have a reference. A woman who bought a cursed charity shop painting, which has ruined lives, said the artwork has now wreaked havoc on her family, and she's now looking for someone to lift the jinx. A woman who bagged... Oh, uh, Zoe Elliott Brown came across the portrait of a young girl in a red dress, from Hastings Advice Representation Centre shop in Saint- <laughs> just flows off the yeah. tongue, doesn't it? In St Leonard's on Sea, East Sussex, last month, uh, as she went to buy the twenty-pound work of art, she was warned it could be cursed, having been returned time and again thanks to its alleged dastardly doings. But a thirty-six-year-old said her mum, Jane, became transfixed after she sent her a snap of the painting and encouraged her to buy it. So he said, I've never seen my mum want something so much. She was fascinated by it, but not in like a positive way. We just got a little shoulder <laughs> twist and a hand action to go with that, guys. I had to. I he had was to, really getting in character I had there. to get into character to get that sentence <laughs> out. Um, but after bringing the painting home, the pair have said the curse is very real, with their lives having changed for the worse since bringing the painting home. The family's dog, Scylla, just leave that there, that name. Scylla. Just makes yeah. me think of Scylla Black. Yeah. The family's dog, Scylla, instantly started growling at the artwork when it was brought into the living room and she wouldn't go anywhere near it. Jane, 68, then began to suffer health issues, including hot fl- hot flushes and shakes. Do you think they put her age in to show that she was past menopause at this point? <laughs> Post-menopausal. Yeah. Um, uh, and even had to put on jumpers to keep warm despite it being the middle of summer. I mean, that's not surprising. Some of this year has been massively disappointing. But although the painting had some worrying effects, Zoe said her mother became weirdly protective of it. She was continually staring at it. She was running her fingers over its cheekbones. She polished it, even though it didn't need polishing, she added. Any 
Sorry. <laughs> Any mention of getting rid of it, she got really snappy. It's like some family heirloom she's become protective over. My mum was point-blank refusing to get rid of the picture, hoping to cleanse the painting of its evil powers, so he put it in a box with Sage. But Jane's condition continued to worsen, and she even collapsed in a bathroom one day. Over the next- Take her to the hospital, yeah. for fuck's sake. <laughs> Sage a painting. Your mum's having some kind of genuine physiological issue here. She's 68. Come She's 68 on. years old. Over the next few days, Zoe caught her mum stroking the painting despite the strange effects it had caused. It was odd behaviour, especially for my mum, Zoe added. My mum is still really odd and vacant and won't really discuss it. Two weeks later, Zoe and her partner, Ben, went to watch... I'm guessing a lightning storm around three miles from their home. As they came out into a clearing, they say they saw a big black figure appear in front of them. We began running back the way we had come. Uh, ben was screaming that it was right behind him. I didn't clock that it could be anything to do with the picture, but then I've never ever been chased by a dark figure in a lightning storm. It was, <laughs> it was the most terrifying experience of both our lives. Fed up with her bad luck, Zoe went to return the painting to the charity shop. But just weeks later, she returned to the shop and the pull of the cursed artwork prompted her to take it home again. <laughs> now she's looking for a professional to help rid the painting of the curse once and for all. I wanted to get it to someone uh, who actually knows about this stuff and can do something positive with it, she added. I thought, knowing my luck, some idiot will go and get it and try and burn it. And I don't really want to be left with the remainder of whatever the hell has been going on. Technically, I was the last owner. I want it dealt with properly. Well, take it off your hands. I will absolutely take that off your hands, lady. Right, question three. Uh, do you want to go investigate the painting or would you rather buy it and take it home? I would rather buy it and take it home okay. because they sound, they're in Hastings. It's a long drive. What are your initial thoughts on this, though? Could it be a whole new painting? Could this just be some bullshit? Now, somebody asked me this the other day, I think in one of the group chats, when, when this, this painting was mentioned. Oh, was it this exact painting? Uh, well, if it's not this exact painting, then the story is strikingly similar. Oh, okay, because I don't really pay much attention. <laughs> no. <laughs> we know. We've noticed. Um, no, I can't mean, I, I was in there this morning. If it's not a link, if someone's actually just posted a message, I will we'll read we'll it. We'll read it, yeah. We just don't, just don't click on links. No. Ain't got time to click on all the links we will send. God knows what we'll send in there. The other day... <laughs> The other day I was looking for my pictures. I saw this weird video. Oh, yeah, there's some stuff because it downloads it. It was some naked guy. Was it the naked guy one? It was some weirdy, really weird video. Fucked up I video. mean, he's clearly sent you something else, mate. No, it was you from the group chat. sliding into your DMs. No, he slides into my DMs. To, talk, to have serious, normal To have serious, normal conversations, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, yeah no, I... I it, it could be a clever marketing campaign by the charity shop, but it seems unlikely. Are these the normal symptoms that you know more about haunted objects than people I can become? Yeah, people can become fascinated and infatuated with with the, uh, a haunted job object. The health, the health issues that they're reported around certain haunted objects and stuff okay. like that. But do they normally make you know figures in black chase you through lightning storms? No. Because I thought that part was completely That's irrelevant. just completely off the fucking wall. I've never heard anything like that. I've heard people being chased by black figures. Um, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, actually, because they went out into a field three miles from their home to watch a lightning storm. First of all, 
This is not the 1700s, people. Television exists. Two weeks later, Zoe and her partner Ben went to watch Lightning Storm around three miles from their home. As they came out into a clearing, they say they saw a big black figure appear in front of them. We began running back the way we had come. Ben was screaming. It was right behind him. I didn't clock that it could be anything to do with the picture, but then I've never ever been chased by a dark figure in a lightning storm. Who travels three miles to look at a storm? No. Like, you have windows. Yeah. Uh, go on YouTube. There's storms being filmed on there. You don't have to get struck by lightning. You don't go out into a clearing to watch it because then, you know, if you are the tallest thing around, you get struck by lightning. This is basic 101 stuff. My child knows this. Plus, being chased by a black figure. I mean... Where, where exactly were you? Well, they say black the first time and then it becomes a dark, a dark figure, figure. Is that because Hastings is mostly a white area and they're just... It could racist? well be. You know, maybe they are just, you know, a little bit sort of racist. don't know if they were, it was actually black, but definitely wearing a hoodie. Definitely had a hoodie on. It was scary and we just ran screaming. Thought it was one of them drug dealers they talk about. Is this, is this how normal people react to scary things? Because <laughs> like, I'm thinking... If I've got a haunted painting, I go out to watch a storm. I mean, something weird's going on there anyway. And then this dark figure appears in front of me. I'm going to strike up a conversation. I can't investigate it if I'm running away with you next to me going, He's right behind me! Ah! What the fuck is that? What the fuck, what the fuck is, is that? that? <laughs> you running around like a confused Kermit the Frog. Is there a professional out there that can deal with a cursed painting? Yeah, absolutely. There's fucking loads of them. I could probably deal with a cursed painting. Well, what would you do, though? To deal with well, it. first of all, I I wouldn't deal with it to begin with because you need to ascertain that there's actually something. What she wants with it. is someone to banish she wants the darkness to take care of it and, and so she could have it in her house without any side effects. Can that be done? Yes. Somebody could it's come a, along and take the curse on it. It's a it's a it's a two it's a two part thing. First of all, you, you need to stop feeding it. If it has even if it doesn't have any malignant aura, you know, there is nothing in it. No entity possessing it. There you You're, go, Zoe. Stop jabbing it with bits of stop carrot. Stop jabbing it with bits of carrot. It's not a horse. <laughs> um, stop, stop feeding it energy by focusing on that and go, oh, this is evil. It's, it is responsible for this. It's responsible for that. It sent a dark figure out to chase us in the woods. You're giving that thing power, even if it was completely inert before, with enough people focusing energy on it like that, you are feeding it and you are imbuing it with power. So stop doing that. Just ignore it, you know. That's the same advice I give to people that are like, oh, I've got a bad anniversary coming up. It's going to be horrible. And exactly. Like, well, it's only going to be horrible because you keep telling Because you're making it horrible. horrible. Exactly. The second part is that if there is so, even if there is something attached to it, first of all, you need to stop feeding it. You need to stop giving it that energy because it's growing. It's only going to grow more powerful from that. Um, and then it's about focusing your own energy, earth energy, a higher powers energy into that and, and cleansing it because it's all energy work at the end of the day. Um, and provided you know how to work with that, cleansing stuff like that is not so, a piece of piss, but... If I've burnt sage and meditated for hours in front of it whilst focusing on, you know, positive energy, I could take away its power. Probably, yeah. Yeah? I don't know if that how long that would last because there's more focused techniques that are used for clearing... Especially something that's been, if it's been on that, been latched onto that object for a long time, it can take more focused and longer, you know, more time to do it. Can but, you s- create an email, ghosthunterrooney at gmail.com? <laughs> Find this woman on Facebook, get in touch with her with your new email address, because <laughs> that makes you look, look legit. That makes me look professional. And I then, do have a sensible email address, my, my author email address. I know, no, 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 no,
I don't want Ghost Hunter Rooney. That's ridiculous. Why not? Why is that's it? That's not a sensible address. It's not going to convince anyone. Yeah, but she sees Ghost Hunter and she's like, oh, he's professional. I just put professional Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> professional Rooney at gmail.com. <laughs> not professional enough to have my own domain yet. <laughs> when you email her from Ghost Hunter Rooney, but then you CC in Vampire Rooney, <laughs> 80s Rooney, Mando Rooney. <laughs> She'll be like, the fuck? Block. <laughs> no. Do you think we could get our hands on this painting, and then we- I will. I will. I will reach out. The details are in there, and I, I will reach out and see see if we can, because that would be useful not only for this podcast but other projects as well, okay. and just feed my desire to collect haunted objects. Uh, I'm going to send you the article. Okay, it's, it's got a name in it. Yeah, uh, I will. I will reach out if you happen to be listening to this, because if I can find your social medias, I will tag you. Um, yeah, absolutely. I will take that off your hands. We'll do an episode on it. I'll go half these. I'll give you a tenner. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like twenty quid. Yeah, no, we 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 can we, we can scrounge that from our limited budget. Offer a thirty, so she makes a slight. Bit so of she profit. makes profit. Yeah, yeah, because we're basically just ripped her for a few minutes there. Um, right. So. We watched a film this week. We did indeed. Would you like to tell everybody what I what we watched? What I what I made you sit through? What I suffered through. <laughs> we watched Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World, which longer than I remember it being. Two hours nineteen minutes. Yeah, it's a long film. In fact, my first note, I don't mind burning it now, is oops, another two hour plus film. <laughs> Although I thought like this was a relatively recent thing, like a post like millennium thing. No. Hearing the list of films yeah. from 1995, we've been making excessively long films for a long time. Yeah. Maybe it comes in waves. Yeah, then hopefully we'll get back onto a 90-minute film. A 90-minute one, yeah. Because yeah. we, we need some more 90-minute films. Although, I don't think this film could... This film could have been two hours. I don't think it could have been 90 minutes. No, I don't, you couldn't cut it down. There's a, there's a reason it is as long as it is. It, and why it has a double-barrel name as well. Okay. Which all, all will come clear when, when I finish with my trivia. So, it was released 14th of November 2003, making it old. Old as balls, yeah. <laughs> Almost old enough to drink in America. Um, budget of a one of a, of a, a 100? No. Oh. Budget of 150 million US dollars. Yeah. Box office of 211.6 million US dollars. They made 61 million. Yeah. They didn't make a great deal of money on it. No. Um, I have thoughts on that later as well. I mean, listen, if I made 61 million profit on a film... I'd be a happy bunny. I'd be a happy bunny, but people in Hollywood are slightly more greedy than I am. Yeah, even back in 2003. Uh, Directed by Peter Weir, uh, also known for The Truman Show and Dead Poets Society. Oh, two good films. Exactly. And I would not have expected this to be in his filmography. but... This film was directed very well. I haven't got a note on it, which is why I don't mind talking about it. But there are certain shots and there are mm. certain points in this film where he does pretty clever or just different interesting yes. stuff. The one I'm, that comes to mind is there's a scene of somebody and you see his face in the water as he's looking down at him. Oh, and yeah, The yeah. camera's on the water and then he delves his hands in and breaks up. the. Yes. Yeah, it's really beautifully shot. Yeah. I, tell, I know there were um, some restraints around filming because of the way that because of the way it was shot it was filmed mostly on an actual ship, ship yeah. so there were you know you didn't have 
a lot of the, the flexibility yeah. that you have on a soundstage and yeah. stuff like that. Um, written by Peter Weir and John Colley. Based on the novel Master and Commander by Patrick O'Brien. Starring Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany, James Darcy and Billy Boyd. Considering the size of the cast, basically all of them are unknowns, yeah. effectively. One of the guys... There's a couple of them I recognise who have been in other things. One of the guy that plays Frank Gallagher in Shameless. Yes, he plays uh, Killick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Russell Crowe spent three months learning the violin for this role, calling it the hardest thing he'd ever done for a film. He later sold the 130-year-old violin used in the movie for £73,528. Yeah. That, um, I did wonder... Did you find anywhere where Paul Bettany actually learned to play cello? Because uh, I believe he did, yeah. The looks of the two of them now are actually playing those instruments. On set, they were actually playing the music. Yeah. The stuff that you actually hear in the film was, was added on in post. Yeah. Recorded. But, but uh, yeah, the stuff that they were actually playing those instruments. I think Paul, I think I said somewhere in my notes, Paul Bettany can play the, uh, the, the cello. cello. So, yeah. Because normally. They were actually playing it on set. Because the way it's shot is different to the way you would normally see yeah. an actor with a musical instrument. Yes, because yeah. they, they actually get full shots of the actor playing it yeah. and with with clear shots of yeah. their hands actually doing the, the, the playing rather yeah. than normally. They, they kind of fudge over that a little bit. Um, although the book is set in 1812, the film is set seven years earlier. This afforded the writers the chance to make the enemy of the piece, not the United States as it is in the book, but France, oh. England at the time, having declared war against Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah. Because obviously um, Hollywood gets weird about making themselves the bad guy. Yeah. And, uh, mm. We don't really want to put films out there where Britain and America are fighting each other. <laughs> Which... <laughs> There's enough of them already. Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier to speak f- to, to, to fight the French. They speak differently. Um <laughs> The film was intended to be the first entry in a franchise. <laughs> Cheesy insurrection. Cheesy insurrection. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> um, the film was intended to be the first entry in a franchise. However, due to low box office numbers, no sequels were ever made, despite critical acclaim and multiple Oscar nominations. So would they have followed uh, Russell Crowe's character, Lucky, whatever his name is? Jack? Yeah, Jack Jack Aubrey is this, this like an 11 book series oh, okay. following his exploits. Um, and yeah, they basically wanted to convert a bunch of them into films. Ah. Um, da, 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 da. If it? you've already made back the 150 you spent making the film and then made 60 on top, yeah. why don't you just reinvest why that other 150 yeah. into another film if you to can make, make another six, 60? If you can make 60 million every time you release one of these films, you release three of them and you're sitting on nearly $200 million. Profit. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't work in Hollywood. And surely you would have mastered. Like Quinn and Tarantino said, after making Kill Bill 1 and 2, mm. it was like, right, now I'm ready to go and make like a Japanese film because I've learned how to do it. I spent yeah. two films learning yeah. how to make <laughs> like a samurai film, right? Now I know how to make it. I should really now go and make go samurai and make one. Film. <laughs> so if they spent the money to build the ships, I don't know if they're old real ships or they're just sets or yeah, whatever. They and they've learned how to make a film on a boat and they've done all of that. Why, Why not, not capitalise on that and make another one? It's not like you lost money. No. I, I don't get it. Maybe six, 60 million is clearly not enough. Mm. Um, to create an authentic sense of camaraderie during uh, among the cast, they were all housed in special quarters away from the rest of the film crew. 
Designed like a gentleman's club, there was no TV and no crew member was allowed in without being invited. It was nicknamed the Monkey Bar. Russell Crowe had the crew play rugby together while they were not filming so they could bond and better work as a team. I like that. They took a lot of reading about this behind the scenes. They took a lot of steps to get a lot of authenticity that most people don't care about. Yeah. I, one of the reasons I love this film is because of the detail to authenticity, because I'm a nerd like that. But a lot of it, stuff like that, just totally by the by, you, you don't really see that on screen. No, you don't. Like, the camaraderie doesn't fly off the screen. No. They spend that. Uh, this film has its flaws, and one of them is that it tries to do too much in its two-hour and 20-minute runtime. Yeah. Um, but, again, my next note addresses that. The movie combines two novels, uh, Master and Commander and The Far Side of the World. Both deal with chasing down a privateer, and the movie combines the long chase of the latter with the furious climactic battle of the former. So, whereas most filmmakers who are you know, making a film based on a book will take bits of a book and turn it into a two-hour film, yeah. these guys took two full-length historical novels and tried to cram them into one film, okay. which is... I, th- I think why the film suffers because it has there's too many things going on and too much that the filmmakers are trying to put into one film and keep it under three hours. It's just a bit slow. Really? Uh, I didn't think that. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> like. I don't have a fascination with boats and sailing and yeah. the time frame. Like if I made you watch, I've been watching these documentaries about. American football lately. If I was to make yeah. you watch one of them, you'd be like, oh my God, it was so boring. Whereas so I'm boring, like, so long. are you kidding me? <laughs> Learning about T- Tim Tebow is fascinating. Yeah. This yeah. this this is relevant to my interests. Yeah. So I I didn't find it boring, although I can see the flaws. I'm not boring. Just long. Just slow. Slow, yeah. Yeah, it kind of... It's... The pacing of it is weird. It's slow and... I want to say atmospheric, but it's not really atmospheric, but it's the tone to it, right? Yeah, there is. And it just slowly uh, kind of... It tells its story in its own pace. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think it would have been far better to sit through if it had been like an hour or 45, an hour or 50 minutes. Yeah. And it was a much more compact kind of story. I've got a about that, and I may as well burn it now because it's exactly relevant. Uh, This definitely could have been a shorter film. I don't think there's much that could have been cut from the film as it is. That I do have one sub plot, which I will mention later on. Um, but trying to cram two books into a single film, it's too much. And I think the, you've got this kind of crush of storylines, conflicting elements, and the, the massive length of this film kind of... I would have even taken 20 minutes more film. Yeah. For maybe two more run-ins with the privateer. Yeah. And you get a lot of sort of like subplots that kind of surface. Oh, hey, I'm doing this thing. And then they dip down again yeah. and that's it. They never mentioned, they have no real bearing on the film Is or they start and just sort of end abruptly or tail off. There's a lot of stuff in between the action scenes. Yeah. That, yeah, that are, is alluding to other storylines or is just... It either needs, yeah, stuff that's, that's alluded to that either needs to be followed through on or just not mentioned in the first place. And then just maybe a few more action scenes to give you, like, as if, like, right, we'll do 15 minutes of story, action, 15 minutes of story, yeah. action. Like a modern kind of action film. Is. Yeah. Because, 
yes, that climatic battle at the end is really good. Yes, the first time they come across the privateer is yeah. incredible. There's a lot of very intense like there's intense action in these those two small sections. And there's these huge sections in the middle of the film that just not yeah, where none of that happens. No. Yeah. Um Paul Bettany was one of the few actors who did not get seasick during filming. He was a member of Sea Cadets as a kid and spent a lot of time on boats. I have been one of my nights. I don't think I'd last 10 minutes on one of these ships. <laughs> I'd like to see. I, I've never had any trouble on any boats that I've been on in my life, but I've never been on a ship that small, relatively speaking, out in the in the, the open sea sort yeah. of thing. So I'd, I'd have to see how well I'd handle it. I think I'd handle it pretty well because there ain't much that does make me feel sick. So, oh, yeah, I don't suffer with motion sickness or anything like that. So, oh, I don't. Um, to research for his role, Paul Bettany went to the Royal College of Surgeons in London to learn how to use 18th century surgical instruments. Okay, which is a nice touch. Yeah. Again, it's something that you don't doesn't really come across on screen. No, because like I was just thinking, as you were saying, I'm thinking they could have had a specialist on set. On set with they just said, "No, just hold it. Just like hold that. it like that." He yeah. didn't need to go away, but then if he walks onto set that day more confident because he spent them but, three yeah. months. And it's one less thing he has to worry about because he knows how to use them yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, during the film's pre-production, the replica of Captain James Cook's ship, HMS Endeavour, was circumnavigating the globe. The production was able to fly two cameramen to the ship as it was about to sail around the bottom of South America, a route the HMS Surprise takes in the film. Thus, the footage of the stormy seas from that part of the voyage is genuine. The Endeavour sailors were dressed in costumes kept on board for displays during the shooting. Awesome. So, right. th- yeah, I, I was watching that last night and it's like, well, now I know yeah. this is genuine shots. This isn't just a film shot somewhere else or something knocked up in post. That's genuine shots of a storm around uh, around the Cape, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah, yeah that looked fucked up again. Yeah. I think that's where I wrote my, I don't think I lost 10 minutes. Yeah, no, I've, a storm like that, fuck off, mate. Yeah. Uh, the cast endured a two-week boot camp where they literally learned the ropes and what to do on board a frigate, including the loading and firing of cannons. They also all learned basic sword skills. I like that. That's yeah. good. See, that, the, the surgery ones, obviously, kind of like a bit overkill, but that... That, actually having, knowing how to do what you're pretending to do. Yeah, I think that that does work. It comes... It, like, none of them look like actors. No. They I did like notice that when they're, when, they're, when they're using the cutlasses, when they're firing the cannons and stuff yeah. like that, they all look like they actually know what they're doing yeah. rather than just going through a rope set of yeah. instructions that someone's given them. Uh, before filming, Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany and a large part of the cast and crew visited HMS Victory in Portsmouth to get a feel of what serving on a ship during the 1800s would have been like. Interesting. So they actually went down and got a feel for I love. I love going on ships like that. How much of this 150 million budget do you think <laughs> went on? <laughs> just went on preparation. Yeah, research. <laughs> uh, it was the first movie ever to film on the Galapagos Islands. Ah. Although the scene where the crew is chasing marine iguanas was filmed in Baja, California, with regular green iguana, which had been dyed black. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so when he says to him, like, you'll probably be the first naturist to, to set foot on the island, he's like, if you just change the word just naturist change- to, like, film star. Actor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 20th Century Fox bought The Rose, the ship which doubles up as HMS Surprise in the film, okay. for $1.5 million. After filming, the HMS Surprise was purchased by the San Diego Maritime Museum for an undisclosed sum and with the proviso that the ship be loaned back to 20th Century Fox for any future film productions. Ah. The original HMS Rose, 
which obviously was became the surprise for the film, was actually a French ship captured by the British in 1757. When it was in dry dock in Hull, England, it was modified along British lines and saw action under the under the British during the American Revolution. It was scuttled in 1779. That means it was sunk. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case anyone who doesn't, yeah, I, I keep using phrases like that, and then people look at me afterwards. What does that mean? Um, but that means it was sunk because it was no longer serviceable. Uh, the replica, based on the same plans as the original, which were housed at the Admiralty in Whitehall, London, was built in Nova Scotia in 1970 by Rhode Island historian John Fitzhugh Miller. It was the only remaining working frigate in the world when Peter Weir came across it at a maritime festival. When he learned that it was for sale, Weir concluded that he was fated to make ma Master and Commander after all, a project he had previously turned down. Ah. Lots of little red strings yeah. there, like all connecting it together. And I love the fact that they just went ahead and bought it. Yeah. <laughs> and that you could, it's apparently still at the uh, Maritime Museum in San Diego. Like, and you can go and visit it. I know 1.5 million seems like a lot of money, but it's like 1% of their budget, right? Yeah. So, but, you know, given the budget they had, it's a tiny, tiny amount of it. It's probably 10% of what I paid Russell Crowe to be in this film. Yeah. I would not, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Um, it was also the, the, the rose was used in Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, it, played the part of the HMS Endeavour. Okay. Um, the toast to wives and sweethearts, may they never meet, is the traditional toast for Saturdays in the Royal Navy. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah, there's a couple of little things like yeah. that. Uh, two historical advisors were on set at all times. About 27 miles of rope was used on the rigging of the replica rose. Most of the rope had to be custom made as modern day rope has a right-hand lay, the direction the strands run in, whereas it would have had a left-hand lay in Napoleonic times. Oh, so they had custom-made rope. 27 miles of rope. Custom-made rope going the other way. 27 miles of rope. Uh, how many people out there in the world sat down and watched this film? A, would know that. B, would spot it. Oh, less than 1% of yeah. the people. Minuscule amount. Like, see, it's that, that, this is one of the things I love about it, is the stupid little details like that were authentic. Um, Russell Crowe... Can you just imagine what 27 miles of rope looks like? <laughs> How would... <laughs> it just seems... You, you can't even envision it, can like, you? I would have thought like one mile of rope would have been enough to be do enough. whatever on that ship. Yeah, no. They, just 27. Use, they use heinous amounts of rope. Yeah. Stupid amounts. You see a lot of them like uh, in... You see pictures of them or graphics or even stuff in video games. And they, they use a minimal amount of ropes. As you see in this film, the hole yeah. above the deck was spider-webbed with them because it was such a... That's how comes they needed such big crews because yeah. you there was so much needed doing and all of it was controlled by these bits of rope. Uh, Russell Crowe wanted to form a sense of authority on set, so he had all the actors wear shirts according to their character's rank. Officers wore a dark blue, midshipmen wore a light blue, the marines wore red, and everyone else wore white. The actors also had to sew their own name tags on each shirt, a tank top, a short sleeve shirt, and a long sleeve top. Could you imagine if you had got a job as, a, as like an extra or, or one of these unnamed cast people and Russell Crowe had been like, right, you've got to wear this and you got to do that. I can imagine you being like, oh, fuck off, Russell. Fuck off, Russell. You're not a gladiator anymore. Yeah, mate. you're not in Come your on. fucking wheat fields now, yeah. buddy. I'm getting paid minimum wage to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you are not the boss of me, motherfucker. See what what you need to do, Russell, if you're listening to this, is you need to you need to project that aura of air of authority. 
See, I have an entire group of people who refer to me as Captain rather than any of my actual names. I, I was talking to one of them. And they, yeah, they were referring to you as captain. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, everyone I, I used to play Sea of Thieves with, yeah. even playing other games with those people now, refer to me as captain. <laughs> even if someone else is commanding the ship or something. It's, it's such a surreal experience. Never, for as long as we both live, would I ever refer to you as captain. <laughs> what about captain? It's far more, far more subtle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the production used two ships. One was the replica Rose, dressed up to be the HMS Surprise which could be put to sea within 45 minutes at any time. The other was a replica of the replica, built on a gimbal in a giant tank at the Baja Studios, Mexico. Construction of the replica took approximately three and a half months. Ooh, that's it's pretty quick. Pretty, it is very quick. Yeah. And it's getting pretty meta. Because you've got the HMS Rose. Oh, no, that's gone. So we've got a replica of the Rose, and now we've got a replica Rose of the re replica Rose. <laughs> I did wonder how much of it was actually shot at sea and how much of it was shot in a Yeah, tank. I think the, the storms were all shot in a tank. But that's the thing, though. Like, there was something we watched recently, and I was like, oh, Jaws, I think it was. I was yes. like, some of these shots, you can, you can kind of assume that they were done in the tank because yeah. of the way it was shot. The way it was shot, yeah. I don't think I could tell you what I was done in, a, no. in this film. I, I'm assuming the storm shots were done yeah. in a tank because you wouldn't try filming in an actual storm like that. But the most part, I would say it was shot yeah. at sea in the, the actual replica because that would just be the easiest way to do it because yeah. you haven't got to worry about putting in backgrounds and shit like that. Um, not The film was nominated for 10 Oscars and won two. Of the other eight categories, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King won each of them. Of course, yeah. I mean, if you're going up against, you know, the, the, the culmination... Of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. You know, I mean, the fact that they won two out of the ten. Is incredible. Is, yeah. And they also won a whole bunch of, um, what's the other ones? Not Oscars. BAFTAs. Oh, okay. They also won a, a bunch of BAFTA awards as well for this film. It's, it, it does strike me as one of them films that would probably be way more critically acclaimed than it was ever. Yeah. It's not a popularist received. film. No. Yeah. This was one of the, I know I've mentioned before, I had a stack of DVDs next to my little TV yeah. in my old room. This was one of them. Really? You get watched every couple of months. Really? Yeah. I really, really liked this film. I think this is where I got my infatuation with that whole time period. I got another theory on that. <laughs> awesome. I look forward to that. Um, in the quest for authenticity, the props team working on the movie called on the resources available from luxury, luxury watchmaker company. I can't pronounce this. Right. Breguet? Breguet? B-R-E-G-U-E-T. Never heard of them. Breguet. Breguet? I don't know. We'll go with that. The Breguet Company designed and supplied all the period timepieces featured in the film. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which gets approximately 12 seconds yeah. of uh, screen time. <laughs> I'd love to get my hands on one of the pieces they made for this film. Um, at one point, Stephen flexes his fingers. Stephen is obviously the doctor. Yeah. Uh, flexes his fingers as he's beginning to play the cello. This is a reference to the books where Stephen is captured as a spy by the French and tortured. Among other things, they broke all his fingers. Jack leads a rescue mission and saves Stephen before the French can kill him. There's a couple times he does that. You see him do it and he frowns down at it. And then before he performs surgery, on, I think we, before he does it on himself, he does the same thing. That's a nice, that's a nice little touch. Have you read any of these books? I have not. 
I have got um I've got the first one now. I've got the ebook of the first one loaded up so that when I finish the current book I'm reading, I can give it a go. That is a pretty subtle nod mm. to a book series that I'm gonna that no one's read. Go out on a limb and say <laughs> very few people. Have read. Yeah. yeah. Um Whereas it's shooting that took up nearly 100 days at the Baja Studios in Mexico, as well as 10 days at sea. Um, Hang on. So they spent 100 days in the studio in the tank and only 10 only at 10 sea. days at sea. So way more of this film than we actually, than we actually thought was done in the tank. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming filming stuff like in a, in a storm and unfavorable conditions and reshoots and stuff like that. You can't really put a whole ship to sea yeah, to reshoot. But- what are you going to get in 10 days? When the amount of time it takes to set up a shot. That's 240 hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually quite a lot for a two-hour film. <laughs> not, not in a film in the filmmaking no, industry. No. There's rules. Unions. <laughs> you don't work after a certain do, time. Do you, you know. think Russell Crowe cares about uni- unions? He had the crew, the, the cast, wearing fucking branded T-shirts. It's because they'd seen that South Park episode and were just thought he was just going to fight them. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone was scared they were yeah. getting beaten up and thrown overboard by Russell Crowe. <laughs> oh, what was it? Fighting my way around the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Uh, never mind manoeuvres. Always go straight at them. Yeah. This piece of advice was actually given by the real Admiral Nelson to Captain Thomas Cochrane, the real-life inspiration for Jack Aubrey. Cochrane met Nelson in 1800 and recorded that line in his diary. Okay. Uh, the doctor's surname. They do that early on, don't they? The very first time they come with a privateer, he goes straight towards them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the doctor's name, Maturin, is never once spoken during the movie. He is always referred to as Doctor or Stephen. Yeah. Uh, upon reaching the Galapagos Islands, one of the men of the surprise spots the iguanas and comments, "Disgusting warts all over it." This is, in fact, how Charles Darwin first described them. Ah. Because obviously that was uh, famously discovered by Darwin on HMS Beagle. Yeah, did someone else also say, oh, no women? No women, probably, knowing sailors. <laughs> that ain't natural. And if they'd been me, they'd be like, oh, what do they taste like? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> At the exhibition of HMS Victory's surviving sail from the Battle of Trafalgar in the historical dockyard in Portsmouth, there is a film, uh, there's a film being screened, uh, which is an edited compilation of the battle scenes from this film, which was used due to its authentic representation of a sea battle in the 1800s. Ah, cool. You know you've done something right as uh, a filmmaker when actual historians in museums go, can we have that footage? Because you've got it so right, we want to show it in our museum. When are you going on a family vacation to the historical... <laughs> to Portsmouth. Yeah. Later this year, if I can manage it. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy, you're not a real pirate. Arr! Block the plank. Um, actually, technically, that didn't happen in real Actually, te- yes. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah, shut up. Um, I love the way that, like, you're not only playing Pirate Rooney, but then Dad Rooney too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just going backwards and forwards with yourself while Cody just stands there. Cody's just sat there like, Mummy, why is he doing this? <laughs> he didn't take his meds, don't worry. <laughs> uh, the production utilised approximately 2,000 costumes is insane given how whilst there's a lot of extras yeah it's not that many of them no not i don't know exactly why they needed 2000 costumes considering most of the crew spends a lot of this film topless topless yeah yeah, and wearing what seems to be the same outfits uh the sales for the small scale model version of the surprise were woven in hong kong their weight was calculated to be proportionately accurate to the real thing 
Although the real sales probably didn't contain Lycra. Ah, so again, more unnecessary yeah. attention to detail to try and get the hang of the sales right on the, the smaller versions, which, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I appreciate it, Peter Weir. But you could have probably made this film for seventy-five million. You could you could have saved bigger, some a fortune, <laughs> much bigger uh, profit margin. Yeah, stop getting everything custom made. Yeah. Uh, and body count. Stab in the dark, thirty-six. No, hundred and eleven. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. No, it's hard. Yeah, there's fight scenes but you never really know no the fight scenes much like a real fight scene are quite chaotic the fight scenes remind me of the fight scenes in ironclad where we've talked about how they're very visceral when you're actually in the middle of them yeah 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 that's how this reminds me yeah they're they're not nicely choreographed and and shot from a bunch of creative angles with a million and one unnecessary cuts and like people making jokes and yeah people (laughs) making quips and taking time to to be witty and funny it's literally just a bunch of angry raggedy people hurting each yeah. other <laughs> so uh yeah we've already had my first note uh, this was another two hour my first film. note they really should consider taking the miramax logo off the films they own as soon as you see it it makes you think of harvey weinstein and that just leaves a sour taste yeah it's it's odd that yeah, they, still they have haven't it on there. considering the things that they will edit out of films yeah. You know, I mean, I suppose... If I, I know they're probably owned by Miramax, and Miramax are like, well, you know, Harvey Weinstein's not here anymore. But Miramax is synonymous with Harvey Weinstein, yeah. or both the Weinstein brothers. Yeah. So just take the logo the off. Day, they're all owned, ultimately, by Disney. Yeah. So Disney could just go, look, we're the boss. Yeah. Unless you want to get in our mouse-eared gas chamber, you edit the fucking Miramax logos out. Uh, at times, this film is pretty visceral. I felt fear as the crew was lying on the deck with a cannonball flying overhead. Mm. I haven't it's got a, many notes for this film, so I'm going to let you... I was going to say, yeah, that, that's, that's jumped. Yeah. That, that was a really... Just, I mean, the fight scenes, we said they were they were very visceral. Yeah. Even, like, the naval combat scenes yeah. does a really good job of capturing the fact that, you know, you were a very soft flesh bag yeah. in a very dangerous environment, and it makes me wonder how, like, anyone ever fucking survived these battles. Yeah, me too. There's that... There's the shot where he's like, everyone hit the deck, and then you see everyone drop, and then you just see all the cannonballs flying cannibals, overhead. Cannonballs, the splinters and bits yeah. of the shit flying everywhere. I was like, battles back then, it's like you had these two ships squaring off against each other, and even if you won the battle... You were still more than likely going to die. Yeah, it's like how many people would die just yeah. from, like, not even just, like, killed outright. Secondary infections, secondary injuries... Uh, and your ship was still blown to shit. Yeah. So you then had to fix it, and you had less men than you started with to fix it. And it's just like, how did anyone fight like this? It's insane. No the doctor um, says it himself, though. He says anybody that dies of like secondary infection or something else, yeah. like, I have to remind myself, I didn't kill them. I didn't kill them. The enemy killed them, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cuts down. I love me a sailing ship. They just look so cool. Yeah. This is like the opening shots where it's all just very oh, yeah. silent, very Jaws-like. It was, yeah. Yeah. And the shot, although it's with the uh, the spyglass stuff, it's got a very Jaws, shark eye view sort of yeah. feel to it because it's got that weird, not quite right, uh, like camera lenses and stuff like that. They do a lot of good work with just telling the story with visuals. Yes. Like, I did really appreciate that. As slow as I felt this film might have been at times. Yeah. Like, I didn't want them to rush the bits where they were just 
telling you what was going on with just visuals right yeah like, like that, they that were really good like the, when you start i mean it's nearly five minutes in this film before anyone yeah. says anything i mean even then it's a man talking to a chicken yeah um but like you get like the, those first five ten minutes um probably not quite ten minutes because that's where they beat the quarters and everything starts yeah. picking up but like when you got what's his name Hollum. And he's looking, and there's nothing really much happens there. It's just a man looking for a telescope and being indecisive. And it kind of sets the tone, yeah. like, atmospherically for the whole film because no one was exactly sure. I think it's very easy in 2023. If we want to know something, we Google something. If I yeah. want to ask someone something, I email them, I phone them, I text them. You know, you can just send a message. And on a, on a ship at sea... You can radio someone. You can phone yeah. them. So you can find out this sort of information. You've got your radar, your sonar, your spy planes. Back then, it was basically that you had a guy stood on top of your boat with a tube with some glass in it. And if he couldn't see it, you didn't know it was there. Yeah. And I think that that's the whole point of that scene is to establish the fact that you know, we don't have this thing. It's literally this man with his spy glass. Yeah. If he can't see it, it's not there, which is how they get the drop on him right at the start. It um, also reinforces the... like just how isolated you are on that boat yes out of sea yeah you've got no community like at one point they drop off letters with the brazilians yeah. and it's like those letters would take months oh yeah to get to, to get back yeah. and it's like until then you're literally out there on your own the captain represents the only authority but yeah he's completely isolated and has to make do with what he's got there yeah. and the knowledge that they have there uh i bet those ships stank below the oh, low decks yeah. i stank everywhere because they never washed. No. Like you, you'd go and jump overboard and have a swim for ten minutes, and that was it. And you might do that every every month, sort of thing. <laughs> I just, I just assume being out of sea with this, the yeah. general and all the animals yeah. and the cook it. Yeah, it wouldn't be nice. Uh, for God's sake, don't drop anything. An explosion then causes them to drop everything. Immediate contradiction is the basis of all humour. Uh, if you live in like Springfield, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got the Simpsons reference as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though I assume it is the thing they did back then, I struggle to believe three rowboats could pull that entire ship. No, I thought about that. And you could conceivably do it with one, but you would move very slow and you would exhaust your crew. Because those ships are made to go forward. They just went backwards. Yeah, they, they were behind them. Oh, no, actually, no, they were no, in front, in front of them, but they, they pulled they into, into the, the fog, fog bank. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, I just felt like I could probably be wrong, but that ship, that ship is heavy. It must yeah, be heavy. but it's And you've got three rowboats. And the, the water, especially the water as calm as it was there, doesn't offer a lot of resistance. I still don't. I, I still mean, think it, the other ship would have caught up by the time it took it three ships to put yes. it into the fog. Yeah. yeah. But you could you could move a ship with, with, three, uh, with three rowboats like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Every day is a school day. Um, a bold choice by the filmmakers to have the protagonist, his ship and crew get soundly beaten the first time we see them do anything. Yeah. And have it all happen in the first 15 minutes of the film. Yeah. So the film starts and you're like, ah, oh, look, here's the hero. Look at this this beautiful ship. There's his hearty crew. Oh, oh, they got their asses kicked. <laughs> if you ever want to establish just how difficult the mountain is going to be for them to climb, yeah. You have them lose straight away. Yeah. And then they have to go up against exactly the same person with a repaired ship. With a repaired ship. And only their their brains and the, the, the extra training and tactics yeah. are used. You've got to see you, them grow and develop their new tactics. Yeah. 
Um, eek. I forgot about the amputation scene. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, like literally a child gets his arm chopped off. Cody came over and watched that bit. Oh. <laughs> he was like, oh, I forgot about that. And he's like, what? So he comes running over. And I'm like, yeah, that, chopping his arm off. I was like, he's not much older than you. And he's like, what? Oh, no, he's not. You don't, you don't see any of it, do you? No, you don't, you don't see it. That's why I was happy with him watching it, because you don't actually see anything. Uh, do you think you were a sailor or a pirate in a previous life, and that's why you're drawn to it? I never thought of that. Um, yeah, see, I told That'd you. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm starting to think I may have been a soldier in World War Two due, <laughs> due to my obsession with World War Two. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of that, but that would make sense. Yeah, if I if I I was just trying to figure ships. out how a guy that grew up in the same town <laughs> at the same time as me, at the same fucking age, yeah. went to the same school, yeah, has become so obsessed with like pirates and just sailing in general. Yeah. Considering we don't live anywhere, we don't even live near the coast. No. no. <laughs> I never thought of that, but that would make that would make a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, I think we must have been a pirate, or yeah, in just some a previous, in life. previous life, or I'm possessed by the spirit of a sailor. Um, brain surgery with a spoon, yeah, that's and then and then using a coin, yeah, to patch up the hole in your head. Oh, the person was like, I like brains, and he goes, No, that's no, brain. that's that's, that's brain. his brains. <laughs> You're like, oh, gross. Oh, and again, immediate contradiction. The guy comes over and he's like, all right, you loafing lamb. Oh, yeah. There's nothing to see here. What are you all gawking at? And then they all go in and he looks And he's like, ooh, and, and it stops and gawks. Yeah. Uh, Lucky Jack has some good hair. Yeah. Uh, I, just... I know all the hair in this film. Yeah. Be all over it. <laughs> Not the doctors, because he just looks... Sure. He looks a little bit like he'd rob you. Yeah. Maybe he it's because he's Irish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they make that reference, not me. Um some of the visual effects have not aged very well in this film. Okay, what ones are we talking about? Mostly when they've superimposed a background behind them. Oh, okay. You can see when the Brazilians are all rowing up to the ship. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was done in a tank or out at sea, but the background of the islands is absolutely not the background that was actually there. Nah. And there's another scene, one of the dinners where they're sat there, um, and Clearly, whatever background was out the back of that window wasn't what they wanted because they've superimposed something on there. One bit that I thought looked a bit shocking, but I couldn't work out whether it was actually shocking or whether <laughs> it was just my eyes playing a trick on me. When they get to the Galapagos and he's like, right, we're going 10 miles to the other side. I want to find this corner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they get over there and he's looking at, I think he's looking at the bug on the floor, but behind him is the bay Yeah, down below. And yeah. I'm like, it looks really bad, but then I'm really focusing on the waves, but the waves are moving. So I don't know. I think, the, I mean, they filmed on the Galapagos, so it would make sense that that actually was it. I don't know if they edited waves in or something or whether it's just, I, I assumed, it's just an odd shot. Yeah I, yeah, I assumed it was real. It just looked it's a bit weird. weird. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they did like some kind of false perspective thing. Probably. Yeah. Like it, it didn't look quite how they wanted it, so they used a shot from the same angle at a different time. Yeah. And... Merge the two together. There are literal children smoking pipes on the ship. <laughs> Not just smoking pipes. So later on, like the one-armed bandits drinking <laughs> wine and everything. Yeah. I, don't, I, I know that's probably real to the early 1800s. Yeah. But they had, like, literal children. I mean, Blakeney is, what, 11, most, 12? Yeah. Uh, the others are in their fucking mid-teens. None of them are old enough to buy a pint. No. 
and yet you've got them you've got them drinking you've got them smoking they're literally thousands of miles away from home serving on the front line on a warship in a war and then you have like these little children like serving as officers uh taking part in the fighting and then later on we see them leading boarding actions yeah. and one of them just gets fucking disemboweled yeah and it's just like what the shit? Well, how did we survive as a nation doing this shit? I mean, I know they were all rich people, so we don't care. But they are literal children, not only murdering, but being murdered. Yeah. And I'm just like, like, what the fuck were we thinking? It's you, insane. You'll never see a better visual representation of, yeah, did it, man and boy, <laughs> than this film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, the lesser of two weevils scene. Oh, it's quite funny. That makes me laugh every time. And I remember the first time I saw it, that stuck with me. Okay. And it's what convinced me to go back and watch it a second time. But, uh, you yeah. You weren't very disarmed, disarmed with humour back then, were you? No. It's classic humour. It's a really shit pun. Dad he joke. who would pun would pick a pocket. Seaman, <laughs> seamanship has a different connotation in 2023. <laughs> yeah, OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> The scene where he's like, that's some damn fine scene. Damn shit. fine scene. And I'm like, oh, did she swallow? Yeah. <laughs> that's the name of my OnlyFans account. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Captain Rooney, colon, damn fine scene. Damn fine semen chip. Uh, synchronicity? Maybe. Oh, God, he's gone again. <laughs> Just a picture of you in a pirate's hat. In a pirate's hat. With a bandolier. <laughs> Damn behind seamanship. <laughs> Naked from the waist down. <laughs> um, uh, right. Synchronicity? The, the the shanty, Spanish ladies. Again. When he comes up on deck and they're drinking the coffee oh, yeah. and the crew or their mateys dancing and then they start singing uh, Farewell and Adieu to You Spanish Ladies. Oh, okay. That was in... Oh, shit. Uh, there was something we watched the other week, the other month. And they sang Spanish Ladies. Oh, okay. Uh, and I said then, oh, that's one of my favourite. Is that yours? Yes, they sing Spanish Ladies in that. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's one of my favourite sea shanties. And here it is again in this, one of my favourite sea shanties. My knowledge of shanties is 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 ridiculously bad, but do you think they put it in this as a nod to Jaws? I don't know, actually. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, it was a very popular song around that time. But Jaws is a very popular film. Jaws is a very popular saying. film. Yeah. See more red string yeah. all over the place. Uh, Twenty-seven miles of it stuck on a ship in a storm. I'd be puking right next to those kids. Oh God, yeah, that would be me. I'd be all these kids puking, and then just fully grown me. <laughs> how did how did anyone survive those things? Oh, and then if no you did survive idea. it, why would anyone go back and do it again? Because it just looks terrifying. They just didn't know any better in them days, did they? They probably didn't until they did it. Or oh, they didn't have a choice. I don't feel like a lot of them people part, on that yeah, ship. Really had much of a choice about anything. Oh yeah, the Royal Navy at the time were were infamous for press ganging people into it. You'd literally like be walking home from somewhere, they would cosh you on the back of the head. You'd wake up fifty miles offshore as a oh, as a really? rating. Yeah, oh god, yeah, because they couldn't get enough men to to volunteer. <laughs> so they would literally go out to the villages and the countryside and that. And yeah, a Royal a Royal Navy people. press gang. Oh. They were literally called press gangs, and they would cost you over the back of the head they'd offer to buy you you know if they were being more subtle they'd rock up to a fucking tavern um offer to buy you a drink and either they'd get you so drunk you passed out and you'd wake up on the ship or they would literally just grab you knock you out and you'd wake up and find you'd been 
like recruited to the Royal Navy and you'd be serving like a two, three year term before you got back to back to port. <laughs> it was a, it was a very different time. I mean, you get away with that sort of thing. If slavery wasn't bad enough. Exactly. This wasn't even slavery. Um, they do a great job of making the Acheron almost supernatural in yeah. this film because it appears like out of the fog, it kicks their ass, and then it like they have to hide from it. Um, and they kind of like cast it as like this ghost ship or or something phantom. summoned up from hell, like yeah, like some kind of phantom thing. Um, but they don't overdo it and make it actually. You can very oh, easily yeah. make it into something actually like they play supernatural. With, they play with the superstitions of the time. Right? Yeah. So I've say got, even today, say there's a superstitious. Back then, they were far worse. I've got a note somewhere about the Jonah. Uh, if you were on a ship, would you believe in superstitions like the Jonah? No, I don't believe in superstitions. Yeah, that's what I thought. You'd be there being, no, it's bullshit. Let me tell you bullshit. why it's bullshit. And there we go. You're the Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not get in shot. But, like, yeah, they play with the, the beliefs of the people yeah. of the time. So whilst you're not actually going to see ghosts, demons, whatever, on this ship, it's yeah. just the French, right? In their heads, because it comes out of the fog, because it sneaks up on them, yeah. and because of their superstitions, it's some phantom ship. Yeah. So, and because we see so much of this film from the POV of the, the crew of Surprise... Yeah. In your head, as the viewer, you're like, maybe it is a phantom. Maybe it ship. is phantom. I mean, yeah. it's some pretty fucking clever stuff he's doing. Uh, it must have been quite exciting. Oh, I got major. Yeah. It must have been quite exciting to live in the 1800s when places and animals were still undiscovered. When he like, he's like, what's that? Two new species in, in as many minutes, minutes yeah. and it's like, no, yeah, back then when there was still this sort of stuff to be discovered. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, you had to sail to the far side of the world to do it, but these yeah. days. Nothing to be said. Yeah, you can't go find anything. Unless you, like, I don't know, you might... <laughs> Journey to the centre of the earth. Might discover the, uh, the, the ruins of the Titan if you go down deep enough. Right, quick, um, move on. I love that Aubrey is taking the time to train the junior officers and using the sextant even while they're being chased by the Acheron yeah. because every day's a school day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Killick is my spirit animal. I was yeah. his manservant. Yeah, yeah. Not on the clock. Yes. Just, oh yeah. Oh, that's the last of the coffee as well. Yeah. <laughs> He's just such a bitchy old man. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's goals right there. <laughs> <Hashtag> goals. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the doctor's pain when he is trying to read, but he's distracted by the noise of the crew. Yeah, I, I frequently yeah. sit down and try to read and I'm distracted by my family. Yeah. Or my neighbours. Or you. Um there's a touch of Ahab about Jack in his pursuit of the Acheron. So obviously this is after they've refitted and they're chasing him, going around the Cape and all that. Uh, especially when he reveals that his orders were only to pursue it as far as Brazil. Yeah. And they've gone like hundreds of miles beyond that by this point. Unfortunately, obviously he doesn't get eaten by a whale, but... Nah. Um, or get... Was it? It doesn't get eaten. It doesn't eat him, does it? Moby, Moby Dick. It's been a long time since I read Moby Dick. Oh, I can't say I was I at school. Moby Dick. Uh, lol, matey, sat on the bow, taking a shit amongst the snow. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good shot, actually, where you start at the front of the ship and it moves all along the ship mm. when it's, like, in that snowy montage. Yeah. And they're all, like, snow, snow, having snowball, snowball fights, fights and, stuff. and stuff. Yeah, you just got, like, this little scene of them just yeah. doing stuff, like, day-to-day shit on the deck of a ship in the snow. What is that Galapagos dessert made of? It looks rank. Oh, it does. It... 
it looks like a cross between like chocolate mousse and jelly. Yeah. It moves like jelly, but yeah. it looks like it's got a consistency of chocolate mousse. And I'm thinking about what they would have had on the ship yeah. back then. They wouldn't have had no fucking Angel Delight or jelly. That's probably flavoured animal fat. Yeah. Because, there's yeah. A, there's a worse scene when it comes to the food, though. <laughs> it's the one where they're... I can't remember when it where it is in the film, but they're just serving up bowls of what oh, looks like the, lumpy, the, the brown. lumpy brown gruel stuff. Ooh. It's like, oh yeah, no thanks. Um, another of my favourite shanties. Don't forget your old shipmate. Okay. When they start singing that, I think I annoyed Amy last night because she was watching the film with me at this point. I was writing a note and they started singing it, and while I'm writing my note, I'm just sat there singing along because yeah, I really like that one. Right. <laughs> uh, here's one for you that I wrote. Specifically for you. <laughs> the Navy uniforms are atrocious. Yeah, I like them. You've got the long boots, you've got the tight trousers, you've got the big jackets, unnecessary waistcoats, neck things. I like the I like the fashions from this era. Mm. Nah. Although, much as I do like the fashions of this era, bicorn hats are not good. They are ugly. Okay. I basically just put a note in because I was trying to pressure buttons. I thought you'd get way more no, defensive. No, no, I see through your, I see through yeah. your shenanigans. We don't see many episodes. Yes, uh, I harder. used to have a stick insect. Did you? Yes, many, many moons ago. Why? Because I thought it was cool. It was when Pets at Home first opened in the town. Oh, okay, yeah. Back before they were Pets at Home, I can't remember what they were called. When then. they when they used to sell like it. When they used to sell interesting pets. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, I can get a stick insect. Oh my god, it's seven pound fifty. Awesome. So yeah, I had a little, a little terrarium for it and a little, used to get it out and it would stand on my arm and do like, I'm a stick. Um, yeah, it was great. Sounds, sounds <laughs> Cody wants one as well, actually. Sounds exciting. <laughs> um, is no one going to discipline the idiot that shot the doctor? <laughs> Surely there should be rules about just shooting guns off randomly on boats, right? I mean, I think there are these days. Back then, I mean, he was the captain like- of the Marines. So, you know, he kind of decided when the Marines were shooting stuff. There probably should have been some kind of disciplinary like action. You're but... out in the middle of the ocean, right? You've got one doctor. Yeah, and you managed to shoot him. Yeah, he could die, and then what happens to the rest uh, of the crew? Yeah, then basically you're all going to die of dysentery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the poor doctor's face when he realises he won't be going ashore in the Galapagos. Oh, yeah. He looks Because like, he's got his little floral explorer coat and his hat and all these little sample crates, and then it's like he's like, wait, what? We're not? And he just looks so sad for a moment, and then he gets angry. And has Not as sad as I would look if I was the guy that they take with him. Him and Blakely take that <laughs> other guy, and he's just way down. <laughs> Carrying all the shit. Yeah. He's just a pack horse. I'd be sad if I was him. Um, oh, I bet the flogging scene really got you all worked up, didn't it? Mm. You love a good flogging. Yeah, not with teenage boys, though. There's something about being a teenage boy. <laughs> I don't think he was actually a flogging. teenager at this time, at like that point teenager. in time. He just looks young. He's got a youthful face. Uh, I'm glad that... that yeah, it's 2023. Be... Don't discriminate. Same for me. Got to be hetero, hetero flexible. Oh, my God, you're such a bigot. You wouldn't you wouldn't flog a teenage boy, bigot. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag cancelled. Like, I don't know which side... <laughs> which side of the line to walk. <laughs> get get cancelled if I will and cancelled if I won't. <laughs> Yes, I win again. Fuck it, floggings for all. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad he had to leave the poor animals behind on the island. Though. I didn't like the idea of them all being transported back to Blighty and those little wooden cages. Oh, they'd have been dead before they got back. Yeah. But that's how we discovered so much about the, the natural world, was by doing that. 
That's why it took us so long to discover, uh, to learn about the, uh, the, the tortoises. All them, and all them cryptids I said there were once. All them cryptids, cryptids are living out on the Galapagos Islands. Because the tortoises, um, they never made it back to England because they kept going out there on expeditions to get them and they discovered that they were really fucking tasty. Oh, okay. No, so they kept true. loading them up to bring them home and then eating them before they got back because they were so tasty. There's a line in this film, actually, where someone says, oh, we should have brought some of the animals up and then tortoises are Yeah, <laughs> and they were. I've got a warfare question for you mm. because I could not figure this out for the longest time. The ships are built from wood. Yeah. Why don't they use longbows and fire uh, um, flaming arrows? Sorry. Um. Because you see them in all medieval films, <laughs> they'll line up, they'll start the battle by just bombarding yeah. the other army, the castle, whatever, with these flaming arrows. Why didn't they have some archers on that boat? They could just two re- well, three reasons. First of all, they're surrounded by water, so it was much easier. You know, just the sea spray and stuff like that would put out your flaming arrows. Yeah, but if just one or two, if you've shot like fifty of them, yeah, and one or two hit a mast. Yeah, but then all the wood was treated is the second reason. So that it didn't, because obviously if you took just untreated wood, put it in that, it would soak up the water and the boat would sink within a couple of days of being built. So it was all treated. Uh, It's been (laughs) Ron sealed, but yeah, it was sealed. So it was less prone to being flammable. Uh, Also, you're talking about, I mean, they described the 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 masts, the actual masts. Yeah, is that? even the masts. Not the wooden part, the actual fabric part. Oh, the sails. Yeah. The sails, well, the sails weren't, no. Yeah, so you hit, a then, of, you hit the sails. No, because it would go straight through. And the odds of it catching in the, the, the milliseconds where it actually made contact with it wasn't enough to make it burst into flames. And again, those sails were usually soaking wet. This is why I'm not a military yeah. general, isn't the it? The third thing was, at one point they described the Acheron's hull as being two foot thick English oak. Okay. Or oak wood. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to burn a thick piece of, a big chunky piece of wood. Yeah. Your fire has to be hot yeah. and it has to be big and it takes a fucking long time to burn it. Yeah. So if you're hitting that with the, your little flaming arrow, even if it does, you know, is hot enough for it to catch, it's going to it's gonna take an absolute age to do it. That's why they, they did it with oil and things like that. Could they not have got, like, water bombs and filled them with oil and thrown them on That's there? what they did. That yeah. was one of the, the, the things that they would do. That's why the options are burn, uh, sinker, burner, no, no, take her a prize. Yeah. Because you could burn, like, like they say with the whalers, they burned the ship down to the waterline. If you could get it to catch, especially inside the ship, then, yeah, absolutely, you could, you could burn it. But doing it from a distance was very difficult. Fair enough. Um... Was I? The, oh yeah, the film kind of veers off course with the whole Hollem is a Jonah subplot. Yeah, because um, that whole like sequence it was, is. I feel like that was from one of the books, and they were like, "Yeah, hey, chuck it in." Let's there. Squeeze it in there, but, but it doesn't uh, necessarily need to be there. Like that, no. the whole, the whole storyline of him not getting the respect and him not, like, yeah, basically manning up, yeah. Doesn't actually need to be in this film no, whatsoever. It's it's it is this is one of the, this is the bit I was talking about earlier that yeah. I, I alluded to that I feel could be completely cut with no loss to the film. Yeah. Have him killed in a in a battle in a different way. Christ, don't even have him introduced. But um it kind of yeah, it, it's a nice bit of world building because it introduces the whole idea of the Jonah and how again, shows how superstitious the crew were. Um but it 
it just feels it like something add anything to the actual no narrative it feels like it's been cut and pasted from another film and put yeah. into this uh and yeah given that it's a two hour 20 minute film you could have cut that out the only reason i can see it actually being in this film is because it fleshes out the crew yeah aside because without that the crew don't get a lot of development. It's mainly just the officers, right? Yeah. That you that you follow the story. So that is a that is a, an avenue into the crew. But uh, I'm not really sure we need it. Yeah, if it's a yeah. The crew could be faceless and nameless. Yeah. You and don't necessarily need anything. no, you don't don't really lose anything by it. Uh, I got one last note. Okay. Seeing them recite the Lord's Prayer. Do you think they still make kids do that in school today? I don't know. I know they do do religious stuff in school periodically. No, like I understand religious. I don't think they studies, say prayers anymore. But when I was in, in infant junior school, they used to make us do the Lord's prayer. Every day. Oh well, yeah. We well, I don't, I don't think we did the prayer. Well, maybe we did. No, we did the know. Lord's prayer. I know we did something like that because I remember it, and I remember thinking back and being indignant for my my previous for my childhood self, and I'm like, but that's bullshit. I'm not religious. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. So singing. Songs of Praise and the fucking blue Songs of Praise remember, books. Yeah, the hymns. We the used hymns, to do the yeah. hymns. But they used to we'd sit in the first hour at the beginning of each assembly was the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, And I just remember, like, like, at the time, I, I didn't really think much of it. But now I think back and I'm like, isn't there separate, meant to be a separation between, like, you know, state and... I remember there was, a, there was an Indian family at our school and their kids would leave the hall for that and would come in afterwards or yeah, if we, we were seeing anything like that they would leave because their parents had said Jehovah's that we'd have to go and stand outside the hall and come yeah. back in or would just never be or they would never be in assemblies at all yeah, yeah. my my child my child making me proud who <laughs> said that about it the other day I was like oh, do you sing those songs then well yeah we're supposed to like, oh because they're religious he's like yeah I know they're religious that's why I don't sing them <laughs> and then in the prayer bits he just refuses to take part in it oh, just sits there in the hall and just like no don't believe in that so I remember him saying the other year like, yeah I was talking to my friend uh, Tommy something uh, I can't remember his name uh, the other day and he said he believes in Jesus and I said why do you believe in Jesus don't be so stupid <laughs> and I was like well that's perhaps a little bit hard. well he wasn't real and he's silly for believing in that I'm like, yes mate but that's his beliefs oh just because we don't believe in them we still have to respect that other people do yeah. so I shouldn't call him no don't call him silly because he believes you can think he's silly but don't tell him that <laughs> one day as an adult you can start a podcast where you have an avenue to call whatever you, you want you'll have a podium to tell everyone that they're stupid for believing you'll have in a soapbox that you can stand upon and tell the world exactly what they're doing wrong what they're doing wrong yes you can tell them that they're silly to believe in Jesus but not silly for believing in fucking <laughs> <Gosh>. Nessie <laughs> You can confuse all the listeners and your co-host by <laughs> constantly moving the line from what you will believe in or what you think is silly. Yeah. Four years I've been doing this, mate. It's great. Um, operating on yourself without anaesthetic. The Doctor may be the most badass character in this whole film. Absolutely. But, you know, men were men back then. Men were men back then, yeah. They were built differently back in them days. Uh, and then, oh, and then he asked Jack if he's all right mid-operation. Yeah. It's like, oh, goddamn, Doc. Uh, I love that Jack then decides they should basically take a holiday in the Galapagos Islands. 
They get spend a week just playing cricket and gadding about yeah. eating iguanas. That's that's the only part of the film I was like, I can get on board. With I this. can get on board <laughs> with this. Um, you can tell this is storylines. Uh, now I've already done that one. Oh yeah, no salutes, no sirs, no bells, no whistles. In chorus, I sir. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually coming think about it. I'm amazed that going back to something you said earlier about the about the uh, Academy Awards and everything. Mm. So this was released. At the same time as Return of the King. Yes. There's a Hobbit in this film. Yes. And that Hobbit plays a, as much as they're like... An, an entirely unnecessary role. Yeah, but like it's almost like any time they have to have like the crew, they'll put him in a prominent position yeah. so you see him. Yeah. Anytime you need a, a random crew member to say something, they'll make it him, right? Yeah. But you think he'd have a bigger you role. You would think he would have a much bigger role given At this time. Yeah. Like like Lord of the Rings is just wrapped up. He's just done three films that have just basically taken over the world yeah. for a few years. You'd think he wouldn't be like the added extra. I'm wondering if there were some time constraints which perhaps reduced the amount of time he could give to this film if he was finishing up stuff for Return of the King. Yeah. And then this was being done off the back of that. So maybe he couldn't be on set because of promo stuff and things like that. So his role kind of or got reduced or something. But they just paid him whatever they paid him and brought him in and put him in them scenes just to be like, look, more look, star power. More star power. Because he's a <laughs> hobbit, don't you know? Yeah. We've got Russell Crowe. We've got, we've got a gladiator. Yeah. We've got a hobbit. We've got a poet. I mean, what more do you people need? I mean, none of you are going to remember whether it's Merry or Pippin, but it's one of them. <laughs> And look, no hair on his feet. No hair on his feet. <laughs> He's got a scar and everything. Yeah. Um, I've done the, the bit about the literal children. I like some of the the actual dialogue in this film, like how they're like, oh, it's over there, posh yonder. Yeah. And it's not because I think this film was brilliantly written or anything like that. I just like the use of someone. I, I like, yeah, I do like old it. school words. Yeah, the old school phrases. Oh, yeah. What is it? Um Sharp's the word, quick's the action. Yeah. And I'm like, I like that. I sound, I sound like someone's fucking granddad if yeah. I ever said that. But <laughs> maybe... Mr. Mannering. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, the HMS Surprise is apparently a sixth-rate frigate. Because uh, I was looking it up because I was trying to figure... Because they referred to the Acheron as a frigate yeah. several times when they, were, when they were arguing about it and stuff like that. And I was like, well, what class of ship is is the, the surprise? Because they talk about her being old and blah, blah, blah. And like, she's got three mast. I assume she was a three mast brig, but she's too big for that. Um, apparently, she is a sixth-rate frigate, though she's actually a captured French corvette and undergunned for a Royal Navy frigate at the time. Ah, oh, cool. Because uh, apparently French corvettes were slightly smaller and slightly less gunned than, I uh, think, because the English Navy, Royal Navy didn't have a corvette class at the time. This is a public service announcement brought to you in part by Reggie and Rooney. <laughs> Keep an eye out for, for Rooney's new podcast, The History of Boats. <laughs> History of Boats. In, in the next couple of weeks somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that boarding action is brutal. Yeah. So that whole that whole fight is just... That second, that finale, that finale fight yeah. is really It's It's a really balls good. out, yeah. all, all, you know, death or glory yeah. fight. Uh, at which point the Assassin's Creed Black Flag developers should probably send Russell Crowe a fruit basket because Edward Kenway clearly took his entire fighting style and hairdo from uh, Lucky Jack. If we ended the podcast right now, we would have gone like a full 180 
180 from the beginning of the pod <laughs> where you start talking about references that I'm not going to get. No, yeah, I, I did. I was like, I have to, I have to mention that because at one point I mean, he's fighting with the the pistols and then he swings a pistol round and uses the club just like Edward Kenway does. Yeah. And then he suddenly pulls two fucking cutlasses out. And Edward Kenway's whole thing in the game is that he fights, he dual wields cutlasses. Oh, okay. And I'm just like, and they've got the same haircut and everything. I'm like, yeah, no. Assassin's Creed Montreal. Maybe you send a fruit basket over to Miramax or something. Um, to Disney, not Miramax. Oh, yeah. Send it to Disney, not Miramax. There's no one at Miramax anymore. <laughs> They're all in prison. They're all in prison. Um, how anyone could live through the brutal fighting and butchery of that boarding action, see all the dead and wounded, and then say a prayer to a god that allowed all that is beyond me. Like when he says the when he does the Lord's Prayer bit yeah. and they're dealing with the, the bodies afterwards. And I'm just like, how can you still be saying prayers to God after that has just happened? These are your friends been butchered and shot. Yeah, but God has a plan, don't you know? It's yeah, ineffable, yeah. apparently. He has a plan for everything. <laughs> plan for these nuts. He makes the bugs change shape. And that's not evolution. That was God. That was God. Yeah. He's got the whole world in his pants because he's fucking us. Uh, sneaky French man is sneaky. Yes. Uh, a surprisingly light-hearted ending, given that the French captain could be butchering Pullings and his crew at that very moment. And yet they just, he gives the orders, turns the ship around, and then they start having a little jam on, oh, their, yeah. on their stringed instruments. And I'm like... That, that's that's the best bit. I never what? knew you could play a violin like a guitar. Did you not? No. I've, I seen, mean, I've seen it done several times. The minute I saw it, I was like, what? Well, it, it, it makes, makes sense. sense. But you you can never... also play a guitar with a violin bow. Because I saw the Coopers do that on stage at the square. Oh yeah, yeah, well, I knew that. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was my that was my last note because I've already covered my other one. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, I really like this film. I watched it quite. A, there was a, there was a, like a two year period where I watched it a lot, um, and I think it's probably the, the 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 awakening I needed to discover that I was a pirate in a previous life. Okay. <laughs> That's your new thing now. You're like, yeah, oh, I was it's not pirate. my fault. I'm, I'm a reincarnated pirate. I'm going to do pirate. that at work. I'm going to go, oh shit. I'm going to go walking in to work dressed in full pirate regalia. I did some uh, past life regression therapy and I found <laughs> out that not only was I a pirate, I, at one point I was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> like, Wait, how does that work? Shut up. Don't question it. <laughs> You're not allowed to question it. my religious beliefs. I was also a Pokemon master and a Mandalorian. <laughs> Pokemon master, I'm not Will. <laughs> I don't know what people in Dragon Ball Z are called, so I, I, <laughs> the closest I could come was Pokemon. Pokemon. <laughs> so, scores. Controversially. I don't think it's that controversial. I'm giving it a seven. That's about what I thought you would, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I pretty much foresaw that. Listen, it is. I enjoyed watching it the mm. first time. Second time, <laughs> not so much. Yeah, I can but the first that. time I enjoyed watching it, it's a, it's a perfectly entertaining film. It's not. I won't probably probably won't go back to it because it's not something that I'm massively interested no. in. But if you're at all interested in it, like you are, I'm sure this film is like ten times better than I found it. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. Like I said earlier, because yeah. it, because of the insane attention to detail and stuff like that, and this is this is my jam. So, uh, but it is absolutely not without its flaws. No. I think the biggest mistake they made was trying to get storylines from two books into one film. Oh, absolutely. Which is the yeah. exact opposite of what you usually do when you're doing something like this. Um, which is why it's getting an eight from me. Oh. Yeah. 
It's not bad. I, not. Thought, I thought it I might actually be a bit higher, but... Yeah, I can't... Given its flaws, much as I like the film, given its flaws and, and the things I think the filmmakers did wrong, and it's nothing that's odd because it's not the actual film itself. You take every individual bit of the film, I, I can't really pick it apart. There's a couple of bits I think could be removed, but I think it this should have been split into two 90-minute films. Absolutely. Master and Commander and Far Side of the World, the sequel. Doing that, would have allowed them to to give the storylines they've got room to breathe. Yeah, I agree. And not, you know, it wouldn't be a two-hour, 20-minute film no. because a lot of people won't sit still for two hours and 20 minutes, no, especially I, these days. I struggle. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. So it gets a 15. 15. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's hot. You gave it a higher score than I thought you would. It's so. not bad for a film that I'd only ever heard real bad stuff about. You know the best thing? <laughs> That's a whole point higher than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. <laughs> And we've just offended a whole bunch of fanboys with that. <laughs> and you know what? I enjoyed this far more than I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. Likewise. I mean, what did you give Guardians? Um, 6.5. And you gave it a 7. Oh, we oh. both gave it a 7. So you gave it the same score. All right. All right. All right. All right. This, this needs to get a 7.5. <laughs> we can't be having that. Can't be having that. Now, okay. So, so it's got 15.5. Yeah. Thanks to your 7.5. There you go. <laughs> Find what you love. Believe in it. Positive things will happen. Abandon ship! Abandon ship! <laughs>